Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Monday. Great to have you with us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. I'm Randy. Michelle is here. Matt Rocchio is here. And we're getting ready for another great week of programming as we continue to appreciate the excellence and the dominance that is the St. Louis Blues. They'll be back in action coming up on Wednesday as they continue this four-game road trip. They've got the Rangers coming up, they've got the Islanders, and they've also got the Devils. And we'll, we've got it all for you here on 101 ESPN. A 4-0 win over the Blackhawks yesterday. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. Good morning to you. And our Blues looking good over the weekend. Pretty impressive. A big win over the Sabres on Friday night and then yesterday at the United Center in Chicago against a team that has a really good goalie but against a team like the Blues is rather hapless. Speaking of good goalies, is Jordan Bennington back? He's back, baby. (laughs) Yeah, we're looking forward to that, to him having a stretch run along with Ville Husso. Yesterday, the Blues, another slumping player of late, Jordan Cairo, getting the Blues on the board after scoreless first period, just 226 into the second. Barbashev touches it first, creating a two-on-one. They get it back and score! Cairo. Puts it in. Flurry did all he could. But the Blues have taken a 1-0 lead. 17-34 to go in the second. The Blues are on top. It's really interesting, Michelle. After Coach Craig Bruby had his little conversation with Kairou before the game on Friday, it was after Thursday's practice, all of a sudden Kairou turns it on again. And you you felt that one coming. That mm-hmm. line had their chances. Jordan Kairou obviously had his chances before he was able to find the back of the net, but you just knew that it was cooking with him and you felt that one coming. Pavel Buchnevich scored at the 6.56 mark and then with the Blues on the power play in the final two minutes of the second. David Perron came up with his 10th of the year. Shannon Falk with the assists. The Blues led 3-0 after two. Perron with another one at the 3.04 mark of the third. And the Blues lead 4-0. And as Michelle mentioned, Jordan Binnington back. Chicago with 30 shots on goal, and they didn't score on any of them. Jordan Binnington was a stone wall. Yes, he really was. And it's good to see him looking like himself again. And I would imagine that another performance like that is just another log of confidence on the fire for Jordan Binnington. And if the Blues are really going to make a run, you're going to need both of your goalies to be playing this way. And Michelle, you look at the standings now. The Blues maintain that second spot in the West. And they may or may not catch Colorado. I don't think that that makes a difference. But if you are another team in this conference, you don't want to see the Blues. If the playoffs started today, it would be the Blues in the wild. And I'd feel really good about that series. And Whoever it might be down the road, whether it's any team from the Pacific Division, if it's Nashville, if it's Dallas, even if it's Colorado, I feel pretty good the way the Blues are going. 
absolutely. They've been battle tested this season and overcome a lot of obstacles. And we're starting to see David Perron cook. I thought he was going to get the Hattie yesterday. Mm-hmm. I loved at the end that they just kept dishing it to him and he was firing it. And I really thought he was going to get it. But you saw the smile on his face after the game. He's starting to feel good. And when David Perron finds his game 100%, when Ryan O'Reilly starts to get cooking 100%, Jordan Cairo getting back to form, Jordan Bennington getting back to form. This Blues team was good without a lot of their main pieces performing at 100%. If they can get all of those guys going at the same time, this is a really dangerous team. Blues have won four in a row, 7-2 and 1 in their last 10. 32-14 and 6 for 70 points on the season. And in terms of the overall league standings, and it really doesn't matter the, the the overall league standings, but it's fun to look and see how good you are and how you match up with the rest of the league. The East is dominant. Colorado has 82 points. That leads the league. The numbers 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 teams in terms of points are from the East, and then you have the Blues coming in with the second-best record in the West at 70 points. Jeez. I mean, that's impressive. Yeah, that's- but if when you get to the finals, when the Blues get to the finals, they're going to face a team that has been beaten up. Whoever it comes out of the East is going to be beaten up. And you know, if you're covering a team in the East, you're saying iron sharpens iron. If you can get through that yeah. gauntlet of teams and make it to the Stanley Cup final, you can beat anybody. And I say the Blues win the Stanley Cup final in five. Okay, great. Let's mark that down. What is this? The 28th yeah. of February today. Randy saying that the Blues are going to win the Stanley Cup in five. No. I would prefer that the Blues win it in seven because I'd like to have those extra four days of conversation on this program because we aren't going to have baseball. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) Talks yesterday, they said they made progress, but they're a long way from coming to an agreement. And today is the deadline for preserving the first part of the season. Could be that tonight, tomorrow, the first week of the season is canceled and they cut down from 166 maybe to 154 games, 162 to 154. And there's a lot that goes into this, including the players versus the owners. But as Buster only points out, you got some owner versus owner crime, too. Collective owners want it lower to restrict the spending of teams like the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and that's driven by the small market teams, the Guardians, the Brewers, the Tampa Bay Rays. They don't want to have a situation where the Red Sox Yankees have a payroll four or five times higher than where the Rays are. That's where the split is, potential crack in the owner's side. You know, the players obviously want the the CBT number higher to encourage spending from those big market teams. It'll be interesting In this moment, when we have this impasse, it'll be interesting to see if voices from those big market teams begin to manifest on the owner's side where they're saying, look, we do not want to blow up the sport over the sake of X number of dollars over the CBT level. Let's be a little bit more flexible. Michelle, I can't believe billionaires can be so stupid. It's ridiculous. It is. It is. Now, Buster listed the four teams that would even flirt with getting to the competitive balance tax, okay? Right now, they're debating whether it should be 212 or 218 or even 220 million. It doesn't matter because the Mets and the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to pay what they're going to pay. And some years are going to be over the competitive balance tax, regardless of what it is. The Mets are at 250 right now. And 
they're going to have some contracts that don't work out. When the Dodgers won the World Series a couple of years ago, a lot of their money wasn't even being utilized for their payroll. They, they had drafted and developed guys. That's why they mm-hmm. won. But what difference does it make if the Dodgers spend $211 million or $228 million? It's still killing a fly with a sledgehammer. And it really doesn't matter to Tampa. If, if, if the Yankees get to 240 Tampa's not going to be any different. The Yankees are going to be the same, and Tampa's going to be the same. So basically, what we're having an argument over with this competitive balance tax, which is a big issue, we're talking about four teams, maybe only three teams, the Mets, Yankees, Dodgers. I don't know if the Red Sox are going to go back to that competitive balance tax. They heard Heim Bloom from Tampa so that, so that they could be more like Tampa and not have to spend as much money. I, I just can't believe that these people are so short-sighted about this competitive balance tax. By the way, I was talking, uh, it was actually Buster only. I was, I was tweeting with him. And said, so what they should do is have the salary floor mm-hmm. because, and not necessarily a salary floor, but the competitive balance tax at the top, have it at the bottom too. So that if you spend less than $100 million, that you have to pay up $200. let us say you're spending $92 million. You have to pay into that same luxury tax fund, that $8 million, to get up to $100 million. And that goes into the luxury tax fund and it gets redistributed to all the teams. And if you spend less than 80, pay a dollar plus the dollar for dollar. And if you spend 70, you'll never have a team under $100 million again. That way the players get their money. There isn't that threat of tanking. And if you're Bill DeWitt, you're paying the Pirates to pay their players a total of like $30 million, mm-hmm. right? You're, they're getting luxury tax money or revenue sharing money. The Cardinals are paying in to revenue sharing. The question I have is, does Bill DeWitt kind of like the idea of the Pirates pocketing that revenue sharing money and the Cardinals beating them all the time? Is it worth it for Bill DeWitt to pay into revenue sharing basically to buy wins from the Pirates? If if you're Bill DeWitt, that's not a bad thing to look at no. is that you could continue your foothold in your division if a lot of the teams that you're competing against aren't going to go for it and that means more money in your pocket mm-hmm. but everything you're saying man Randy this makes too much sense yeah. because you're thinking about the product as a whole you're Bingo. thinking how can I make baseball better how can I make baseball more competitive thus making it more entertaining for me the fan slash consumer not only are the owners fighting with the players the owners are infighting with themselves because everyone is is so selfish. No one cares about the actual game of baseball. No one cares about the actual product. No one cares if it's entertaining. All they care about is how is this going to benefit me and how is this going to benefit me monetarily? Exactly. You're exactly right. And not only monetarily, but competitively. And from Which usually means monetarily. Right. If you're winning, you're making money. Is Bill DeWitt better off if the Pirates are competitive or if he's pounding them all the time? He's going to spend the revenue sharing money either way. The question is, are teams like the Pirates and the Marlins going to be responsible in spending that revenue sharing money? And that's why if I were an owner that were was paying into revenue sharing, I'd think... Hey, we're paying revenue sharing so that you can compete with us. This is why in the NFL, you can have the Kansas City Chiefs go to the AFC Championship game four times. This is why the Cincinnati Bengals, do the Royals have a chance every year to go? No. This is why the Cincinnati Bengals can play in the Super Bowl and the Reds can't. Because the NFL has revenue sharing that works and they're forced to use it. They have to use 99% of the revenue sharing money they get on players. And... 
this is why baseball has teams that have no chance. And you look at a market like Green Bay being able to have the success that they have. That would never happen in baseball. But baseball, I just don't think that they care. We're here on the precipice of games being lost, and it doesn't feel like there's any sense of urgency. Yes, they're meeting more. Yes, they're discussing more. All the reports coming out of this is that they're still far apart and that if progress is made, it's so incremental. I would think that if I was both of these parties and I was looking at the prospect of losing games, that is me losing money. That is a a continuous money drain as soon as we start to lose games off the calendar. For both sides. For both sides. You're already losing money and you're not getting your, your product ready to go by having spring training not be going on right now. But I would just think that if money is the ultimate goal, it is so counterintuitive to not be playing games, which which is what is going to generate the money. <laughs> yeah, so the deadline is today. And by the way, Derek Gould's been doing such a good job down in Florida for the Post-Dispatch at stltoday.com. Talk about great reporting. There was a lot of belief on Friday that because the meetings went so bad that everybody would go home. Derek actually talked to the caterer who had been told, no, you got to bring food through Monday. That's great reporting, yes, right? It is. That, that's how we knew that they were going to keep talking through today, and hopefully they'll make some progress. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Matt is here. We're off and ro- oh, and SLU, Mizzou, Illinois, all lost in college basketball. How about Saturday? Top six teams in college basketball all lost on Saturday. I know, what? isn't that nuts? It was crazy. It's March Madness. It's gearing in us February. up for a big March. It's going to be really fun. Yeah, and today is the last day. There's 28 days in February, Michelle. You wear that. I am aware of that. Nobody it's not has a, a leap year. No, yeah. Well, I guess somebody has a birthday on February 29th, but text, text us, 65780 if you do. By the way, Illinois won. They beat Michigan. Oh, they I just okay. had to double confirm that. Yeah, 9385. They beat Michigan yesterday. Okay, so they did not lose. I-L-L-I-N-I. Okay, yeah. good. So SLU and Mizzou lose. No surprise there. And Illinois wins. Uh, coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Start one, bench one, cut one on 101 ESPN. To the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I do hit. What? Start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. All right, start one, bench one, cut one. Michelle, Randy, Matt, we welcome your text, 65780, to the Air Comfort Service text line. All right, Michelle, this is uh, start one, bench one, cut one, future edition. Okay. 2025 in September. Cardinals, NFL, and Sunday afternoon edition. Cardinals, NFL, or your MLS team, St. Louis City SC. In September? Of 2025, on a Sunday. Okay. Wow, this is tough. Well, I'm cutting the NFL. Good idea. And I guess it would depend on the state of City SC and the state of the Cardinals in September, because obviously if one team is better than the other, then I would want to tune in more. But I'm going to go ahead and say MLS. I'm going to start City SC, and I'm going to bench the Cardinals because... I think that we will still, even though we love the Cardinals here in St. Louis, I think that City SC is going to take the city by storm and that we are going to be so locked in to them, especially come September. I agree with you. I'm going to start uh, City SC as well. I think City SC and MLS are ascending and their trajectory is just so good. And 
I don't know that you could have a worse trajectory than baseball has right now with their labor issues and their demographics and the, the quality of the sport. And here in St. Louis, yes, we're going to cut the NFL. Oh, obviously, we're cutting the NFL, even though we'll probably be paying attention to them. Paying attention, but yeah, <laughs> cutting them. Okay, so mine's a little similar, but different. Start one, bench one, cut one. Weekend morning edition. Okay. Going to brunch, sleeping in, or getting up early to watch soccer. Oh, okay. Um, okay, I'm going to I'm going to start the brunch. <laughs> I am going to bench getting up early to watch soccer, and I'm going to cut sleeping in. You're cutting sleeping in. I don't sleep in. I just can't. I can't really. Well, for me, sleeping in is sleeping till like seven fifteen. Right. Yeah. You know that's sleeping in. Yeah. But those extra two hours and fifteen minutes, those help okay. on the weekend. That's the only thing about soccer is I do like watching it on Saturday and Sunday mornings. But it's kind of the one time in our sports calendar, at least for you and I during the week, that we aren't obligated to watch sports, or at least something that we're really going to have to talk about on the radio. So it's hard to give that up. It's hard to give up your weekend mornings when that's kind of your free space. So I am going to start sleeping in. I'm going to bench brunch, and I'm going to cut getting up early to watch soccer, even though I do enjoy it. Yeah. Tottenham Hotspur. I always like to see the Arsenal lose. That's always a good thing. Yeah, Kois. Yeah. Come on, you Spurs. I'm a Leicester City fan. Uh, uh-huh. Let's go Foxes. But By the way, today is the rollback. The yeah, there's there's Matt Rocchio. The rollback of the mask mandate here in St. Louis County. And I was driving by Bristol yesterday, mid-morning, and their brunch hasn't, since the start of the pandemic, been available. I hope that the Bristol brunch becomes available again soon because it's my favorite one. And uh, Bristol has awesome carrot cake. But, I mean, shout out to Bristol. Great brunch. Yeah. But, Randy, you have the best carrot cake. Oh, thank you. I'm surprised that you would want to go out to get carrot cake when you own the best carrot cake in town well, and I, at your house. I do appreciate that. But the Bristol brunch is just it's off the charts. <laughs> off the chain, as the kids used to say. That was a well-cast compliment fish right there. <laughs> Randy, I'm going to throw out how much I love somebody else's carrot cake oh, and see what happens Oh, their carrot cake here. is sensational. There's some sensational carrot cakes around town. But yeah, but best. We all know that right everyone here. else is playing for second. Thanks, Michelle. It's true. I mean, ask Danny <laughs> Mack, ask, ask, ask Joe Vitale, ask Chris Kerber. Anyone who's had the character carrot cake knows it's the best. I, I've been uh, re- requested to make one for Greg. So I, I don't know how this is going to work, but Amzinger loves carrot cake, too. So I have to make one for him and get it to him somehow. You're going to ship it to him? I don't know. I'll have to figure it out. I'm going to New York in a few weeks. I could carry it on the plane. There we go. That's He'll a just play. have to meet me at the airport. Okay, we can do that. <laughs> I could hand off the contraband <laughs> at the airport. I like it. Good. All right, Matthew, what do you got for us? Start one, bench one, cut one. David Stewart buying the Chargers. Dr. Chaffetz buying the Pelicans. The XFL lasting more than two seasons. Um, okay. Can I get those again? New sport in St. Louis. David Stewart buying the Chargers. Dr. Chaffetz buying the Pelicans. An XFL lasting more than two seasons. This one's pretty easy for me. Starting the Pelicans, benching the XFL, cutting the Chargers. Yeah, the Chargers aren't going to. But I'm just going to take this as the possibility of David Stewart actually buying the Chargers and being able to move them to St. Louis. Ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm, gonna, I'm assuming that uh, these things are going to happen and the teams are going to move to St. Louis. I will start the Pelicans as well. I'm going to bench the Chargers, and then I'll cut the XFL lasting more than two years. Do you think if the Pelicans were to come, it includes Zion? 
No, because I don't think Zion's going to be with them next year. <laughs> no, he's not with them this no. year. And by the way, their owner, uh, Gail Benson, has said that they want to sell to a group that is committed and it'll, it'll be part of the purchase agreement to keeping that team in New Orleans. Yeah, that's just smart. And the Chargers, by the way, the Chargers broke ground on a more than $100 million practice facility in Southern California. People might not be aware of this. The Chargers pay a dollar a year in rent at SoFi Stadium, yet they get 15% of that stadium's revenue. Super Bowl, 15%. Olympics, 15%. Concerts, 15%. You pay a dollar a year and you get 15% of all of that fret, that building's revenue. Why would you ever want to leave that and have to work for money? I would never do that. No. Seems that's, like a bad business decision. It's yeah. a good thing the Spanos family's cash rich. Um, <laughs> start one, bench one, cut one. I like this one. Prince, Queen, The Beatles. All right. I'm going to start Queen. Same. I'm going to bench <laughs> Prince. I'm going to cut The Beatles. Whoa. I'm starting Queen. I'm benching the Beatles. I'm cutting Prince. Both of you starting Queen was not. That would have been like that would have had bad odds on it. I would have lost money what? on that bet. That would have, just because I, mean, I love Queen too, but you're going up against Prince and the Beatles. I'm just a little bit surprised by this. Uh, Randy, you're predicting Blues Stanley Cup. So we'll do start one, yeah. bench one, cut one. Their opponent, the Penguins, the Lightning, the Panthers. Okay, I'll start Florida. Uh, I will. I'm going to, because of Vasilevsky, I'm going to bench the Lightning. And just because I haven't seen Jari do it in the playoffs yet, I'm going to cut the pens. So starting the Panthers, benching the Lightning, cutting the Penguins. I'm going to take this as who I would like to see. And so I'm going to cut the Panthers. I am going to bench the Penguins and I'm going to start the Lightning. Pat Maroon against the Blues. Wouldn't that be fun? That's all I want. That would be a fun storyline. That would be great. Start one, bench one, cut one. Blues on a hot streak. Jordan Binnington, Braden Shen, David Perron. Binner, Perron, and who's the third? Binner, Perron, Shen. Well, the hot goalie is always what you take. So I'm going I'm to start Binner. I am going to bench Shen, and I'm going to cut Perron because I like a... Uh, a center that can do everything that Braden Shen can do. And Braden Shen's at the top of his game like he is right now. He's a dominant player. And David Perron, well, he was dominant last year and can be. He just doesn't play center. And so Shen has more opportunity to do things for the rest of his team. I'm going to start Braden Shen because this past month, he might not be playing better hockey than he has in his career. I mean, those passes yesterday, he is just on it. So I'm going to start Braden Shen. I'm going to bench our guy David Perron because we want David Perron to have success always, mm-hmm. and he's cooking. And I'm going to cut Jordan Bennington on a hot streak just because I want to see it a little bit more. I want to see a couple more games out of Binner to really put him in this convo, even though he looks great the past two games. And you have Ville Husso, so at least you have a little bit of a backup, whereas I don't right. know if the Blues can get that far without Shen and Perron getting hot. Barry Sanders, Marshall Falk, or Ladanian Tomlinson, a little, a little running back, start bench, start one, bench one, cut one. Sanders, Falk, Tomlinson. Well, this is a, this is a good one. I like this, especially here in St. Louis. Yeah. I'm going to start Marshall. Marshall has a Super Bowl ring and has played in the Super Bowl. The other guys have not. <laughs> uh, and LT, while Marshall's equal in terms of running 
and receiving was not the blocker that Marshall Falk was. It wasn't the brilliant football mind that Marshall. So I'm going to bench LT and Sanders, who might be the best runner ever, but wasn't the receiver or the blocker that the other two were. I'm going to cut Barry Sanders. Wow. So I'm going to start Marshall as well. Anyone that ever played with him or observed him said he may have the best vision they've ever seen out of any player. Um, And he was just absolutely dominant. So I'm going to start Marshall. This is tough. I love Barry Sanders. I think I'm going to bench Barry Sanders. Imagine if Barry Sanders was in a different organization. Mm -hmm. And even though LaDainian Tomlinson is great, I'm going to cut LT. All Hall of Famers. All great. All great. Yeah. And by the way, in terms of just being nice guys, you probably start LT, bench Sanders, and cut Falk. But this is about football, not nice. Fair enough. Thanks, Matthew. You're welcome, Randy. (laughs) Coming up next, why aren't we hearing about pace of play negotiations in Major League Baseball? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Jericho and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And Michelle, last year, baseball games got longer for the third consecutive year. For all of the efforts that Rob Manfred appears to have made to have games actually be shorter, they were longer. And they lasted three hours and ten minutes. And we aren't hearing anything about pace of play. And obviously economic issues take precedence here. But we aren't going to hear about pace of play either. Because... Baseball, like other sports, is taking note of the fact that very soon every state in our country will have legalized sports gambling. And what baseball's hierarchy is looking at is gambling. They think that baseball is going to become a gambling sport. And the longer time there is between pitches without a pitch clock, the more time people will have to actually place a bet on their phone before the next pitch. If you have... A couple of minutes between innings, you can make a bet on the very next inning. Baseball is going all in on gambling. And from what I understand, Michelle, we aren't going to hear about pace of play anymore. We aren't going to hear about trying to attract a younger audience with a quicker, more action-packed game because they're more interested in the gambling money and believe that people, their their fan base, will be more interested in gambling than an action-packed sport. Well, I do appreciate that baseball is even thinking about gambling as a way to inject some vitality into their sport because it really is the way that a lot of people are consuming sports now and it's it's getting legalized everywhere. And so it is the rare foresight from baseball to think about <laughs> something that might actually help bring some eyeballs onto the screens. But it's kind of the chicken or the egg, Randy. It's is if there's not an, or if there's more time, excuse me, between pitches, will the gamblers come to the product because it is more attractive to them to get in bets or is it if the game is not exciting the gamblers are going to choose to watch another product that's on TV that night because really at any point during the baseball calendar you're going to have another sport on that might be more attractive in in March or April excuse me are you going to want to bet on the NBA or are you going to want to bet on baseball in 
September? Are you going to want to bet on the NFL or college football? Or are you going to want to bet on baseball? I would argue to baseball that if you don't fix the pace of play, people aren't going to be paying attention to your product enough to want to gamble on it. Because we are in a short attention span society. Think about the way we scroll our phone. Half the time, we don't even pause to look at every single post or every single thing we mm-hmm. see on our timeline. Something has to grab our attention in order for us to even stop and look at it as we're scrolling. We're mindless in a lot of our consumption these days. And baseball is not entertaining enough for the average sports fan, comma, the average gambler, to want to pay attention to it. And I I would argue that if we go to Vegas and there is the end of an NBA game that goes over, let's say that the the over-under for an NBA game is 221.5, and at the end of the game, the score is 110 to 109, and somebody hits a three to make it go over, or somebody hits a line drive for a base hit at the end of a baseball game to win it, if the two things are happening simultaneously, the roar is going to be for the NBA game. And baseball, you're exactly right here. Baseball essentially will have a window from mid-June until the first week of August, maybe seven weeks where they can own the landscape and own gambling. Because you're right. People are going to bet on the NBA. People are going to bet on MLS. And by the way, that'll become more and more a factor as the years go by that people will bet on and attend and watch MLS games rather than MLB. I really believe that Major League Baseball is making a mistake to think that they're they're short-sighted to think that more people are going to be interested in their sport because of gambling. I think gamblers might be inclined in those seven weeks to say, oh, I got to, the degenerates, they'll go over and bet on baseball. But people aren't going to watch baseball because they're going to make a bet on it. To me, you have to have an exciting product. When you look at what happened in the NFL in the championship or in the divisional weekend, where you had all of those games that were decided by three points, you need excitement. And gambling will provide it. Excitement for the gamblers, but you need excitement for everybody. All three of us in this room, did any of us gamble on that divisional weekend in the NFL? I don't think so. Matt, did you put anything down on any of those games? Yes. Okay, so two out of three. uh, Use the promo code SMALLS, FanDuel Sportsbook app. Yeah, there you go. But we were still enthralled by it. It was incredible. And that's what you have to do. You have to have a product that's enthralling for people to invest in it financially. Yeah, if you had skin in any of those games, it was probably a little bit more exciting. If you didn't gamble, it was still one of the best weekends of sports you've ever had in your entire life because all of those games were so dynamic and they all came down to the final play. But the, the thing about baseball, Randy, have you seen the movie Don't Look Up? I don't think so. It's got Jonah Hill, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep. It's a loaded cast. But essentially the premise of the movie is that Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence spot an asteroid that's coming directly at Earth. And they're trying to warn everyone. Yeah, J-Law. Shout out to J-Law. Just had a baby. Shout out. But they're trying to warn everyone on Earth. An asteroid is coming and it's going to wipe us all out if we don't do something to stop this. And everyone's just going about their lives, doing talk shows, not even really paying attention. No one wants to focus on the fact that the asteroid is coming. This is how I feel about baseball. Mm -hmm. The asteroid is coming. And instead of looking at ways that they can actually improve their sports, get more balls into play and get more action, show off the athleticism of these players, promote your players. Instead of doing things that could maybe divert the asteroid, 
They're just bickering and mm. they're just arguing. It's it's ac- actually ridiculous when you think about right. it. The asteroid is coming and they don't seem to care at no. all. And I do think that even if they think that this is going to help from a gambling perspective to get more eyeballs onto them, that they should really look at every different aspect of this. Instead of just saying, if we don't change the pace of play, maybe more gamblers will come. Why don't they say, okay, well, let's maybe then ban the shift or, mm-hmm. or let's, if this is really the approach we're going to take because we are going to make a pointed effort to target gamblers, how else can we in- interject some more action into the game? Because whether you focus on gamblers or not, if you don't do something to make your product more entertaining mm-hmm. and make it more interesting for a younger demographic, the asteroid's going to hit. Yeah, right. A good text here from the 314. Uh, gamblers will be putting their money on golf over MLB. And my thought process here, Michelle, is very simple. I believe, and I might be wrong here, but I believe that you need a product for people to gravitate to and gamble on rather than saying, hey, come and gamble on us. It's kind of like radio. There's a lot of companies that will have a product or or the salespeople will develop a product and they'll say, okay, well, let's sell this and then build the product rather than have a product and sell it. I think it's more important to have the product to sell rather than to have something sold and then say, okay, well, let's develop it. Mm -hmm. To me, the most important part of this is the product. The main thing is the main thing. And I might be, like I said, I, I could be wrong. It might be that gambling is going to be the overarching thing in sports, but I just don't believe it is. I still think you're going to have to have a compelling product. Oh, I agree because you can gamble on a game and not watch it. Mm-hmm. Right. You can gamble on a game and not go to the game. There's going, there's still that lore of actually loving the sport that is going to put butts in seats I mean, you could put place a bet, uh, bet on fan on Fanduel in the sportsbook app and go about your day, go to work, and then just check it on your phone. Mm-hmm. And I, if I'm baseball, I'm more worried about the people that actually love the game or getting people to love the game because then you have them hopefully for life. Right. And bottom line here, there's a rule on the books already. We've talked about it where a pitcher with nobody on base has to throw a pitch. Is supposed to throw a pitch within 12 seconds. It's never been enforced. <laughs> Rob Manfred has talked before about a pitch clock. You aren't going to hear about that anymore. You aren't going to hear about a pitch clock anymore because they don't mind 40 seconds between pitches so that you can sit on your phone and bet on the next pitch. That's where that's where baseball's headed is. It's gambling over pace of play. I will repeat the asteroid is coming. It is. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Michelle, Randy, Matthew with you. Great to have you with us. The text line number 65780 and the uh, text line brought to you by Air Comfort Service. Michelle, Texas Monthly Podcast reports that Jerry Jones brought the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders in uniform onto his private plane to impress business partners. The report also suggests that 
The Cowboys are too important to the NFL for them to investigate any type of scandal that could sully the team's reputation or Jerry Jones' reputation. Take it or leave it, this is true, and even though Jerry Jones did something akin to what Dan Snyder did in Washington, Jones will never be investigated. Take that. Why would the commissioner investigate himself? There you go. Bingo. I'll take it, too. No way. No. So, and apparently this happened after the Rich Dalrymple scandal that uh, he, he apparently went in and took photos of and the Cowboys paid $2.4 million uh, because he went into the cheerleaders locker room and was taking pictures of them changing clothes. Their former PR director uh, recently retired. I think if we've learned anything through the Rams process, it's that Jerry Jones is the most powerful person in the NFL. Yeah, he is. And why would anyone go against him? Should they? Absolutely. But if you're another owner or if you're Roger Goodell or if you're someone that would be tasked with moving forward with this investigation and going against Jerry, why would you want to take that on? No, you don't do it. He can get you fired. He will fire you immediately. Yeah, you, if you're Roger Goodell, you take the 40 mil a year and just move on. And I would imagine these owners all have dirt on one another. Mm-hmm. And Jerry's the one that would that would be the first to throw it out there. Jerry will dish it. Dar- big time. Jerry will dish it yep. because he's so bombastic and he's already this personality that when you read stuff like this about Jerry Jones, are you that surprised? No. But I bet there are some owners that present themselves differently that Jerry probably knows some things about. And if stuff like this came out about them, we would be surprised. There is speculation certainly unverified speculation that after Jerry Richardson backed St. Louis heavily in the relocation situation, told the league and told Jerry Jones, hey, you're going to regret this, and was one of the two teams, along with Arizona, that voted against the move of the Rams to L.A., Jones provided some information to Sports Illustrated about some of the unsavory things that Jerry Richardson had done, had done in the Panthers front office and essentially got Jerry Richardson out of the league because of the, the sexual, uh, not assault, but the, just the, the harassment. harassment allegations against Jerry Richardson. A lot of belief that Jerry Jones is the one who caused that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. So, uh, Randy, there's some news coming down in the NFL world about Kyler Kyler Murray, excuse me, and the Arizona Cardinals. We know that there's some tension there. But Kyler Murray's agent, Eric Burthart, just posted this letter insinuating that Kyler Murray wants to remain Arizona's quarterback as long as the team is willing to make his long-term contract extension a priority. When we talk about quarterbacks that could be on the move this offseason, we mention, of course, Aaron Rodgers. Russell Wilson is certainly in that mix. There's a lot of names we talk about. But take it or leave it, despite this letter, we should include Kyler Murray in those conversations. I'm going to leave that. The Cardinals have just been too insistent that they want Murray to be their guy that I believe that they'll trade him. I I don't think they will. They had to finish last. They had to have the first pick in the draft to get him. I don't think they want to go back there. But he wants a new contract from them. He's going very public with it, with his agent releasing this letter. They He unfollowed them. They removed stuff from him. I don't know if they're going to just roll over on this. I get the sense that they really believe in him, though. I wouldn't be surprised if they give him the deal. Maybe they will. But I don't know if they're going to do it the way he wants. Right. And he's got to be better. But I also think he needs to be coached better. But if I'm the Cardinals and he's taking this public, then I am going to start conversations about moving him and make that public. Do you really want to go to a worse situation? Well, I just can see a power play coming for from him, both sides. The the situation is all about money, right? And if you're the Cardinals, the, the money 
you can get rid of a quarterback. We saw Philadelphia get rid of Carson Wentz. You can give that guy that next deal and still get rid of the guy with very little financial repercussions. I think the Cardinals can pull this off without much trouble. By the way, Seattle apparently wants three first-rounders for Russell Wilson, and Sierra wants him out of Seattle, according to the, the streets. Oh, the streets we're talking? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, isn't that what has been brewing all along, is that they they... Both of them wanted out of there to get to a different market. Mm-hmm. Would you give up yeah. three firsts for him? Not at this stage. 32 years old, I don't think I would. Now, if you're Chicago, maybe you give up a number one and a number two and fields, but I wouldn't give up three number ones. Depend To me, it depends on the organization because how many organizations pick the wrong guy anyway? Yeah. At least you know what you're getting in Russell Wilson. Right. Even at this stage of his career, he's been dealing with injuries. I, I still believe in him as a quarterback. I do, too. And by the way, I, I don't think the reason I don't bring up Kyler Murray for Russell Wilson is because I don't think either of those teams would make that trade in the division. No, I don't think so either. Your tech 65780, Matthew Rocchio, what do you got for us? Let's go with take it or leave it. The Blues will have 620 goal scorers this season. Right now they are at uh, just one with Kyru, but Buchnevich is at 19. Or Bouchnevich and Tarasenko at 19, Saad's at 17, Barbashev and Center at 16, and either O'Reilly or Perron would need to score 9 to get to 20 from their 11 right now. I'm going to leave it. You said 320? 620 goal scores. Oh, yeah, that'd be tough. Because you just don't have enough games left at this point. Although Perron has his 11 in 39 games, O'Reilly really hasn't shown that kind of a hot streak. Maybe Perron, who had a couple yesterday. Uh, they have, let's see. O'Reilly or Perron would, would, no, they'd, they'd be number, number seven if they got nine more to get to 20. Uh, you just need Brayden Shen and Barbashev to get four each for them to get to 20. Oh, yeah, I'll take that then. Yeah, they will. That'd be pretty impressive. That's, that shouldn't even be a take it or leave it. That's just a given. <laughs> All right, here's one. This one kind of feels like a given, too. Take it or leave it. Josh Allen is a younger Tom Brady and will eventually win a Super Bowl. Leave it. Well, you don't think he's a younger Tom Brady or you don't think he'll win a Super Bowl? I don't think both. he's a younger Tom Brady. I think he's closer to a younger Ben Roethlisberger. I'm going to take that he's going to win a Super Bowl, though. Yeah. I truly think that had the Bills beaten the Chiefs in that game, they would have won the Super Bowl. I don't think any other team was going to beat the Bills that day. No. He's unbelievable. He's great. I would suggest, and a lot of people around the league, most notably Steve Spagnuolo, who put together a lot of game plans against Brady over the years, Spags said he, he's a young Brady and a lot of people said Burrow is the, the next Tom Brady. I kind of think Burrow is probably more along the lines of Brady than Josh Allen is. I, Josh Allen runs a whole lot better than Brady does. Can I give you a bonus Tioli? Sure. Take it or leave it. Josh Allen wins a Super Bowl before Joe Burrow does. I'll take that. I'm going to take that too. I think so. I wonder though if Losing Brian Dayball will hurt them. Losing their offensive coordinator will hurt them. Although they had, they added Joe Brady, I believe, to their staff as their quarterback's coach. So it'll be interesting. But I just like their overall organization better than Cincinnati's. I wouldn't be surprised if Cincinnati regresses. Baltimore's going to come back. At some point, Pittsburgh's going to come back. Cleveland's going to be Cleveland. But Cincinnati's just a bad organization. That owner shells out money. What are you talking about? They don't even have an indoor <laughs> practice facility because, well... We never play in January anyway. <laughs> that is hilarious. They got ready for the Super Bowl, practicing out for the Super Bowl in LA, practicing outdoors in Cincinnati. 
the Athletic did a big story about how it's incredible what their scouting department has done because there's only like five guys yeah. inside of it, and everyone's like, "This is incredible," and everyone's like, "Are we not having the bigger discussion here on on an owner who's notoriously been fickle with the money, only hiring five guys to run a professional scouting department?" And it was just kind of like two different ways to see this story. Yeah, there used to be a team back in when Joel Bushbaum was alive. He told me that there was a team that called him. And it was another team with, and it wasn't here, it wasn't the Cardinals, but a, a team with a limited scouting department that it would essentially draft based on the Joel Bushbaum draft book. And they did pretty well. Really? <laughs> yeah. they, they better have been paying Joel. Um, yeah. <laughs> take it or leave it, impatient people should succumb to baseball instead of baseball succumbing to impatient people. Well, impatient people are not going to yeah. succumb to baseball. Nope. They're going to find other options. So I'm going to leave that because baseball needs the impatient person because it's everyone in America. It is. We have all become impatient. We aren't going to sit down and watch a baseball game for three hours. Michelle, how many times do I pick up my phone during the course of a show? Just to say, oh, what's happening on the phone? Everybody does that, right? Yeah. It's just who we are at this point in this country. People aren't going to become more patient. They're going to get less patient. Yeah, we're all addicted to our phones. Yeah. And take it or leave it. Randy can relate to Daniel Berger losing five strokes and five holes yesterday to lose the Honda Classic. Boy, I'll take that. And I can relate to having a chance to do something really special on the 18th hole and hitting the ball in the water. I can totally relate. I've never been in the position to do something great on the 18th hole. I'm already done by then. So my favorite 18th hole, one time Danny Mac and I were playing... And I let's see, what course were we playing at? I don't even remember. But I holed out on the 18th from about 125. I was very happy to do it. Peavely Farms. We were playing at Peavely Farms, number 18, and I holed out from about 125. Maybe my best shot ever. Really? Yeah. I was thrilled. That was pretty good. Yeah. But uh hadn't happened recently. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Next up. Question of the day. Is Jordan Bennington back? Get your text in. Michelle and I will have our fresh take on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. I'm still building that resiliency and, and just taking it one game at a time. Jordan Bennington after his 4-0 shutout of the Blackhawks yesterday. It's 8.04. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. Michelle, after a three-game stretch in which he allowed six goals, seven goals, and five goals, Jordan Bennington has allowed one goal and now none in his last two games. He has faced 56 shots and turned aside 55 and... It appears, just from what we see, as if he has found it, as if Jordan Bennington is back, as he said there, just trying to build some resiliency. Are two games enough for you to believe? Two games is not enough for me to believe. While I love what I have seen out of Jordan Bennington these past two games, he's been blocking shots. You can you can just see in his demeanor that that confidence seems to be back for him. And obviously having more performances like this are only going to help that grow. But I want to see what he looks like, Randy, after he doesn't have a great performance or maybe he's in between the pipes during a loss. Because that to me mm-hmm. was kind of the calling card for Jordan Bennington in 2019, or at least one of them, that when he had... Uh, performance that he might like to have back, he always bounced back strong 
longer the next game. I mean, look at the Stanley Cup playoffs. That was kind of a given. If Jordan Bennington didn't have a strong game, you knew he was going to come back even better the next game. So until I see a little bit more of a sample size and more importantly, see him maybe take a little bit of a step back and then return to form, that's when I'm really going to say, okay, 50's back. And that's reasonable because we don't know what and we never know what the next game is going to hold. But it's not just the the stretch of three games. The, the goals against this year, well over three, had a stretch of six games where in five of those, he allowed four or more goals. The, the stretch was four goals allowed, then five, then one, then six, seven, five. So he's been not great much more than he's been great in 2021-2022. So I'm on board with you, but he did look like he was flopping around in the game against New Jersey when the Blues came back from the 11-day layoff. And we talked about it. He looked like the fish in a boat. And he's just appeared to be much more steady between the pipes against Buffalo and against Chicago. Now, yesterday, with the 4 nothing win over the Blackhawks, Craig Ruby was asked what he thought Binner did well. Yeah, he moved really well in that. He had, he had a heck of a game, I thought. Um, had to make some big saves for us, which he did. And I'm glad to see him get a shutout. And by the way, this isn't a matter of Jordan Binnington getting his skill back. It's just a matter of him getting his game back. Mm-hmm. I would tell you that it was getting his skill back if I had run into one hockey person. We've, we ask everybody on our show about Jordan Binnington, and everybody says, no, the physical ability is there. It's just a matter of getting his game back. It's like a pitcher being in a slump or a hitter being in a slump, any hockey player being in a slump, and Binner has been in a slump, and he's got to get out of it. I remember in 2019 when Ryan O'Reilly said, there's no panic here. There's no panic mm-hmm. in this room. I felt like everyone we talked to in relation to the Blues had that same approach with Jordan Binnington. I don't think, Randy, there was one person that we spoke to that said, I'm concerned. I I think this is the mm-hmm. end for him. I, I don't know if we're ever going to see Jordan Bennington return to form. Everybody said, no, nah, it's just confidence. He's going to find his game again. This is what happens with goalies. Sometimes there's valleys in addition to the peaks. And I think that might have made me panic a little more if we talked to anyone who had eyes on him all the time or anyone who had played the game or especially someone who... You know, like a Darren Pang said, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I'm really concerned. But everybody that knows far more about hockey than I do said, yeah, I think he's going to be just fine. And it seems, again, small sample size. But with this small sample size, it does seem like we're seeing Jordan Bennington turn the corner. And the other part of this, Michelle, is that right now, how can Billy uh, Husso not be your number one goaltender? As good as Bennington has been in his last two starts... If I'm Baruby, I still have to give the majority of my stars, and it might be a slim majority, but I'm going to play Huso more than I'm going to play Bennington until Huso shows, shows me that it's not real. Absolutely. I'm going with the person that I have seen it more from recently, and that's Ville Husso. But it will be interesting, Randy, if Jordan Bennington continues to play this way, what Chief does when it comes playoff time. What if both of them are just playing at a top level and here we are come playoffs do you go with the guy who's had a better body of work this entire season or a guy who you know is playing really well right now and has done it in the playoffs before has that experience has that history that's such a tough choice because if they're both playing well obviously Bennington has done it before but you also know that Bennington is going to be your guy so if you plug in Huso who's going to be an unrestricted free agent after this year and he goes on a run then what do you do do you have 
$10 million tied up in your goalie position with a $6 million backup for the next five years? That's tough. I also, and I know that everybody on this Blues team is very much about the collective and they they do what is asked of them. But if we're talking about confidence and it being something that can be fickle at times, especially for a goaltender, is that something that you want to test with Jordan Bennington? If he's playing really well and he's done everything that has been asked of him and really feels good about his game, do you want to not give him that number one slot, the guy with the contract? And and maybe, I don't know, sometimes an angry Jordan Bennington is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's just so many components that would go into making that decision. And it's not a bad position to be in if you're the Blues, that you have two goalies who are playing so well that you don't know who to start come playoff time. A uh, text from the uh, 618, he won the cup, he gets the start. Pittsburgh had Marc-Andre Fleury, and granted, he had some injury issues, but they went with Matt Murray, and Murray took off and won a Stanley Cup for him, and then Fleury got hurt in the playoffs the next year, and Murray won another Stanley Cup. So I can't say that just because the guy who won the Cup is on the team that he gets the job. I would tend to lean that way, but if Philly if Husso continues to play this way, where he's leading the league in goals against and in the top three in save percentage... How can you not put that guy into the lineup during the playoffs? It sounds like an almost impossible quandary. I don't know. But I I tend to lean on the hot hand. Who do I have? I have the most confidence in Mm -hmm. right now. I would even look at the the past five starts for both in addition to the total body of work. Who is the hottest right now? Obviously, I would look at matchups too, things of that nature. But... That could be a, a really tough position for Chief to be in. Ed texts in from the 314. He says, glad to hear that you're not succumbing to the media hype on Bennington after two good games. Huso has been better for several months and deserves to be the starter. Remember, Army had Ville rated as the better goalie since 2018. That's from Ed. Ed, thank you very much. And that's absolutely right. The Blues did have Huso rated as a better goalie in 2018, but... Then Bennington won the Stanley Cup in 2019. Yes. And, <laughs> and they did give the contract to Bennington. They did give the contract to Bennington. And isn't that the lesson in all of this is that it doesn't really matter who's rated higher, that you you go with who's playing the best mm-hmm. at that time, that momentum is key. Because I, it's, it's hard, though, not to remember what Jordan Bennington did in 2019. And I, I kind of agree with the first text, too. He won the Cup. You go with Benner because he... Think about game seven. You know that no matter what, I can't imagine a more pressurized environment than being on the road, even though the Blues were great on the road in those playoffs, being on the road game seven, your franchise has never won a Stanley Cup before that Jordan Bennington could have had a better game than he had. Especially that first period. That first period, he was under attack and he was magnificent. I mean, we were talking about, is there going to be a statue built of this guy after that game? And I know that when the pressure is going to be, anything else is almost a cakewalk compared to game seven in the Stanley Cup final. I know that he's got it in him to pull out any sort of performance. And one other text that I would tend to disagree with from the 217, if Bennington keeps playing well, trade Huso for a load and Huso is going to be an unrestricted free agent. I can't imagine that teams will overpay for a rental who's going to be a UFA at the end of the year. And you also have to look at the fact that Huso, the reason Biddington got the opportunity is because Huso had been hurt so much. Huso has not been the most durable guy during the course of his career. I don't know that I would want to go into the playoffs, all due respect to Charlie Lindgren, with Lindgren as my number one if Bennington would go down. Man, it's been a minute since we talked about Chucky Sideburns. It has. Yeah, and, and I like the guy. I think that he, he's good. 
but I would if I don't have Huso for the playoffs, I'd want Bennington. If I don't have Bennington for the playoffs, I'd want Huso. If I'm the Blues, I'm not trying to build for the future. I'm trying to win the Stanley Cup this year. That's exactly what I was going to say is you need to win now. It's hard enough to keep that window open and Doug Armstrong has done a magnificent job of keeping this team in the hunt for a Stanley Cup. You need to capitalize on this while you can and try to get another one. That's today's fresh take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, about the continuation of this road trip and the goalie situation. He's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time now for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Slyman Brothers, with five St. Louis area locations to serve you. Michelle and Randy, and we do go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, our Monday visit with the Voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber, good morning, Kerbs. How you doing? Randy, I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Is Jordan Bennington back? <laughs> well, it looked like it the way he was playing last night. Um, I, I think it's building well. I still expect Billy Huso to play on Wednesday against the, uh, the Rangers. I think it's part of the rotation that they'd already set, but yeah, I thought he played a really good game in that first period while the Blues are trying to get their feet out from under him, and that's back-to-back games now. Is he back? I don't know, but I like the fact that he's played two really good games. Curbs, is there a certain sample size or or maybe some sort of temp poll that you would look at and then you can determine that Jordan Bennington is back? I think everybody's a little different, and I'm just curious where you would be on that one. Well, yeah, in all fairness, Michelle, I, I think we got to wait until we get past this road trip and get into the, the real schedule of March and April. I this run that the Blues are on right now, where I believe out of this stretch of 13 games, 11 of the teams, except for Toronto and the New York Rangers, were in the bottom nine of the standings. You know, and and so I, I don't think the competition has been very hard. Uh, I don't think that uh, you know these teams have been all that challenging. Beyond you know, just mentally, I think you just got to find a way to be better than them, and the Blues have, have done so. You know, but having said that, I, I think when we get back into it, and you're you're playing some some heavier teams. You're some bigger teams. Whether it be playing, you know, the Washington Capitals or the Boston Bruins later in the year, you get back into your uh, the Western Conference. You play the, you know, whether it be the L.A. Kings or or Vegas, one, one of those kind of teams. I think when we get into a stretch where the schedule is a little tougher and the competition is a little meatier, that's that's when you'll know. Curbs, this will be an interesting week, and especially the lead-up to the game against the Rangers on a couple of fronts. Number one, I would think that the hockey people in New York will be going bananas over the return of uh, Buchnevich, and we'll see the two, if Huso plays, Shesterkin and Huso, they're the two best goalies in the league right now. Yeah, you know, you can really make the case that Igor uh, Shesterkin, I mean, you you can really could make the case, in my opinion, Randy, that he should be up for the Hart Trophy. I'm not sure, like... The Rangers are a heck of a team. They, what Chris Drury has done with that team from an attitude standpoint over, over the matter of just a few months is really quite impressive. Uh, they changed the makeup of it in a big way. They traded out Butch Navich. They brought in Sammy Blay. And yes, I know Sammy Blay has been hurt now for, for most of the year, but they, they wanted to go towards that heavier team, kind of like the Blues had had for a while. They go and they get Ryan Reeves. And people were saying, well, you know, Brian Reeves didn't do much in that last game. You know, Tom Wilson didn't do much. The fact that Tom Wilson didn't do much in that last game was because Ryan Reeves was sitting on the bench. Right. I mean, there, there was just a deterrent in the fact that Ryan Reeves was on the roster. And and that's something, frankly, the Blues don't have, and I think the Blues need. 
especially in the Western Conference, the way we've seen the Calgary Flames be made up and the, the way this West is going. So for, for me, the, the Rangers have become a real interesting team, but there's no way, there's no way that they do what they're doing without Shesterkin going on, on a tear and just being the kind of goalie he's been this year. And they had to make the decision of whether or not to kind of move on from Henrik Lundqvist, and it was the right call for them to make. He's, he's been outstanding. Curbs, I really thought David Perron was going to get the hat trick yesterday. He certainly had his chances there at the end. But we know that Perron contributes to this team in a lot of different ways. But to see him get hot right now and uh, potentially get some more points on the board, it feels like he could be peaking at just the right time for the Blues. You know, Michelle, he's one of those guys where I just think they're going to have to keep playing him some minutes. One, I think he had to figure himself back out after suffering that concussion right after Thanksgiving. I think that's a big part of it. He's only got goals in four of the last like 32 games, you know, and and he you know the pressure that he puts on himself. Uh, I, I just I think that he's back with Ryan O'Reilly. He knows the kind of game that he's got to play. And guys, this this has been the this has been the mo since his rookie year in the league. You'll know that David Perron's game is on when he's winning puck battles along the boards and holding onto the puck. He's still one of the hardest guys in the league to take the puck away from when he's going like that. And that's, I think, something that we've seen over the last couple of games. So it was great to see him get those goals. Man, they, they, if you were the Chicago penalty kill on that last power play, I, like, you didn't need to go to anybody. Just go cover David Perron. And he was firing. They just uh, He couldn't find a way to, to get that seventh hat trick of his. Hey, Curbs, I want to go back to your comment about getting uh, a more rugged performer because we talk about getting that guy, and they're so rare. That's so much more easily said than done now, isn't it, to find a guy like Ryan Reeves that has the ability to, to be that tough guy to give some of your skilled players some space or to instill fear in the opposition. There just aren't many of those guys in the league anymore. Yeah, and you know what, Randy? I think, in all honesty, and I don't think anybody on the team could argue with this too much, the one guy, you've got a couple guys that are willing, like like Bortuzzo and stuff, to, to drop the gloves when DB and, and are tough and can, can do that. But to me, it's Braden Shen. Shen's mm-hmm. the one guy that, that has that situational knowledge that, that does it better than anybody else. Well, I don't think that that's what you want from one of your best two-way centermen, you know, going down the stretch here and potentially getting hurt. And, and uh, I, I think there needs to be more. And so I, I really think, I think in what we've seen here, Dakota Joshua played yesterday. I know Sunquist was out, but if, if Sunquist wasn't in there, I think they were going to sit uh, Clem Costin maybe. Now, I think the Blues are still trying to find an identity for that fourth line. So, you know, as we head towards that trade deadline, I know everybody's focused on defense. It might be worth keeping an eye on. Do you find a, another guy? You know, and essentially they thought they had that with Kyle Clifford. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't it just didn't pan out that way. But they need somebody on that fourth line that's got some sandpaper that can go in and hit. Because if you think like to get out of the West, you might have to go through a team like Calgary. Colorado's got some pretty good size on, on their back end too again. You just you need to have some some weight behind you and, and I think the blues on that fourth line are still looking to find someone and a player or two that's gonna be able to play a heavier game than we're playing now. Curbs, I want to go back to Braden Shen. He's been playing amazing now for a, a while, at least the past month. Some of those passes yesterday, absolutely ridiculous. What are you seeing out of Braden Shen? I think there's two things. I think he's healthy. Uh, the, the beginning of the year, he wasn't healthy. Uh, just not healthy enough. He got hurt, tried to play through it. I mean, at one point in time, he had not just one cracked rib, but about five of them. So, uh, And then, then he was dealing with another upper body injury on top of that. 
It's just a matter of him being a healthy player. I still think his best hockey for the St. Louis Blues comes when they play him at center. Now, the challenge is, like we were just talking about Perron, you got to get some of these skilled guys ice time. And you'll talk to players over time, and they'll say, I'm not as good if I'm playing 13, 14 minutes a game versus 18, 19 when they're into the rhythm. And the challenge that the Blues have is how do you get enough of these guys enough ice time to keep them going and to keep them running? And some of that comes by a special teams. But when you're rolling the lines and, and you're sitting there and you're, you're, you're five on five, that's where that fourth line's going to sit a little bit because Craig Baruby's got to find a way to get those top three lines out on the ice and keep those skilled guys going. I also think for him that there's, there's been a real acceptance of Braden Shen of what needs to happen, and that is anything and everything that is possible, meaning he knows that, look, there's going to be some days you might come in, you play 18 minutes a game. Some days you'll come in, you'll play 14 minutes a game. But this team is deep enough and good enough that if guys can find a way to be effective in the roles that are asked of them from one day to the next, and he says this when he meets with the media, then this team's going to do some good things. I, I think you combine that acceptance along with, the health and, and you're getting that good hockey player you know that he is. Hey Curbs, one more thing from me and Joey brought this up yesterday during the broadcast. We've seen it before with previous iterations of the Blues and we see it around the league. If you get stonewalled like the Blues were for the first period plus by a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury, there's a lot of teams out there that'll say, no, not our day and you really don't see the level of competitiveness and I thought it was cool that the Blues stuck with it and they really never slowed down in terms of taking their shots at Marc-Andre Fleury as good as he was yesterday. No, and, and that Chicago team was bad. You could see Fleury just getting frustrated, slamming his stick. He slammed a door once. Like I, I mean, I haven't I haven't seen Chicago play kind of that poorly in in quite a while, but it was almost like they just gave up in that game. And that's because the Blues are starting to play that relentless style Mm -hmm. again. I loved it when you started seeing the turnovers at the red line. And the one thing that the Blues did in that game that maybe they haven't done, and maybe they didn't do it as much on that previous road trip too, the moment they got that puck, they got north in a hurry. Like there was a good transition game. There wasn't a lot of waiting around. So they stayed on the hunt and they stayed aggressive. And that's, that's what they need to be. But you're right, Randy, this is a competitive team. And again, except for now, maybe, what, two games all season long, you can say that this team has been in every single one of them. So they played 52. They have been in, in the third period, they've been within one goal or tie at some point in like 50 of those 52 games. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, they've been in every single game. And it's just a matter of continuing to put it together. That's why, you know... That's why you've got to finish the stretch. You got the Rangers on Wednesday. Then you go, you know, you, you, you finish with the Islanders and you finish with the Devils on this road trip. Then when they get back into their schedule against some better competition, Randy, we're going to start to see some things and exactly where this team sits. But they're doing just what they needed to do. They're winning these games. They've passed up Minnesota. Minnesota struggled. So now even with games in hand, Minnesota is chasing the Blues and they put themselves in a really good spot for the final 30 games. Mr. Kerber, always great stuff. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Enjoy the time back east, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, you too. Have an awesome week. You Thank too. You. See you later. That's the Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. Next up, the fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the on character and small men in the red corner average joe listener and in the blue corner the undisputed king of morning drive please welcome randy character
It's the Monday edition of The Fight on Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Kevin is joining us. He's going to take on Randy Carriker in a sports trivia competition this morning. What's up, Kevin? How are you? Hey, good morning. How are you guys? We're doing great. How was your weekend? You do anything fun? I bought a couch. Okay, tell me more. What kind of couch is it? A sectional, three-piece mm. sectional. Nice. Now, did you do a lot of research before you bought the couch, or was this a, I'm going to the store sitting on one and we're pulling the trigger? Uh, pull the trigger. Wow. Are you happy with your purchase? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, congratulations, Kevin. I think the dogs like it more than I do, but... That's always a big deal. Is the couch comfortable enough for the dogs? And I'm assuming this is for the living room and not a basement? Yep. Absolutely. That, a couch is one of the most important purchases you're ever going to make. A bed and a couch. You spend more time in your bed than you do anywhere else in your life. So a bed is obviously very important. But to, especially when it's cold out, to nestle in on a good couch, be able to watch your games, that's important. So I'm happy for you, Kevin. Thank you. Hopefully you can continue um, these good vibes going against Randy today. Are you ready to jump in on the fight? As ready as I'm going to be. All right, Kevin. Question number one. Which team does Adam Wainwright have the most career wins against? Is it the Milwaukee Brewers, the Houston Astros, or the Pittsburgh Pirates? Let's go with uh, with the Brewers. All right. Jordan Bennington just moved into their tie for eighth all-time on the Blues career shutouts list with 10. Who is number one on that career shutout list for the St. Louis Blues franchise? Is it Yaroslav Halak, Mike Liute, or Brian Elliott? Uh, Brian Elliott. Question number three for Kevin. Since its implementation in 2012, three teams have won the one-game wildcard game to advance to the LDS multiple times. The Rays did it in 2013 and 2019. The Yankees did it in 17 and 18. And this other National League team did it as well. Or this National League team did it as well. Was it the St. Louis Cardinals, the San Francisco Giants, or the Pittsburgh Pirates? Go with the Giants. And what team drafted our future guest today, Larry Hughes, number eighth overall in the 1998 NBA draft? Was it the Philadelphia 76ers, the Cleveland Cavaliers, or the Washington Wizards? The Wizards. All right, checking our score here. Okay, confirmed. Waving in Randy. Confidence check, Kevin. How are you feeling? Uh, not too bad. Nah, that Wayne question kind of got me. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. But I understand where your mind was there. Randy, as you're getting your headset on, please say good morning to Kevin, the exciting owner of a new couch. He just bought a new couch this weekend. Kevin, congratulations. Do you already have it in the house or is it going to come this week? It's already in the house, sir. That's awesome. Good for you. There's not much better than it. We we need it. We're just we're getting a new bed tomorrow. But man, I, I'm not a fan of our upstairs couch. I'm a much a bigger fan of our downstairs. Really? Couch. Yeah. One of the worst purchases that I, I've ever made in my life is the couch I have right now. It's beautiful. It is a beautiful couch. It is black linen with a white back. It's like a tufted Chesterfield Sounds sofa. Nice, yeah. When you walk in, you're like, wow, that's a nice looking couch. It is so uncomfortable. Yeah. It is, it is aesthetically pleasing, not great for someone that has to sit and watch games all the time. Yeah. It was a bad purchase by me. By the way, along these lines, Michelle and Matthew, why is it that when you go on Zillow and you see a ho- house listing, nobody ever has huge TVs in their living or family room? Well, Everybody, a lot of those are staged photos. That's stupid, though, because if I'm going to stage a home, if I'm going to have a family room, I'm going to have a TV in it. It's a good point. 
But I would imagine there there's a lot of legwork in getting the TV mounted on the wall if you're just staging you, it for photos. I think it should already have a TV on the wall. But if the owners moved out and they took their TV, yeah. it's a bare wall. I would, if I were a stager, I would have a stage TV. It's not about, and a really big one too. Yeah. Yep. Just another reason just that saying. Zillow needs comments. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, Zillow. All right, Randy, are you ready? I'm ready. To go up against Kevin. Mm-hmm. All right, question number one. Which team does Adam Wainwright have the most career wins against? It seems like last year we heard that it was against the Pittsburgh Pirates. So I will go with uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Jordan Bennington has moved into a tie for eighth all-time on the Blues career shutouts list with 10. Who is number one on that list? Moose. Have a dog named after Brian Elliott. Yes, you do. Since its implementation in 2012, three teams have won the one-game wildcard game to advance to the LDS multiple times. The Rays did it in 13 and 19. The Yankees did it in 2017-18. And this National League team. Okay, a team has moved on since the implementation of the wild card. Yes. A team has won the wild card to move on to the LDS multiple times. Yep, three teams have done it. The Rays, the Yankees, and... Rays, the Yankees, and... And uh, let's see. The Giants did once. Um, the Cardinals did it, obviously, in the first year with the Pop Fly game. But then they were all division. That was a fun game. Yeah, it was. <laughs> the infield fly game, that was it a was. fun game. But then they won the division. Well, let's see. The Cardinals were... Okay, so the, we didn't have the single game wild card in 2019, correct? Or 2020. Didn't have it. Uh, so, okay, let me get this. Yankees. Let me, Giants? Okay, n- no, because the Giants won a couple of World Series. Um, okay, won the Pirates, won the Reds. LDS. Uh... Can you read the question one more time? Just Absolutely. So that I this. Since its implementation in 2012, three teams have won the one game wild card game to advance to the LDS multiple times. The Rays did it in 13 and 19, the Yankees in 17, 18, and this National League team has done it as well. Okay. Um, I will go then. I don't know why this just doesn't pop out to me very easily. I guess I'll go Giants. All right. Coming up a little bit later on the show, what team drafted Mr. Larry Hughes, number 8th overall in the 1998 NBA draft? I believe that he was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers. Kevin has a new couch. Does he also have a victory in the fight versus Randy on this Monday? Matt, let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! Just win, baby. I'm sorry, Kevin, but at least you have somewhere comfortable to sit after work today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Randy got all four correct. He got the jack. You did get two, but Randy takes home the victory four to two. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing, Kevin. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Am I... I- 2015 Giants, right? One of the years they won the World Series, and then also in 2015, I think they might have won the wild card game.
So that's what it was. So that's why it took so long. I was thinking of only the World Series years. 14-16. Yeah. There okay. you go. There you go. So the Pittsburgh Pirates is the team that Adam Wainwright has the most career wins against. He's 21-7 and versus the Pirates. Jordan Bennington moved into a tie for eighth all-time on the Blues career shutout list with 10. Brian Elliott is number one on that list with 25. Blues. It was the Giants. The Rays, Yankees, and Giants have all won the one-game wild card to advance to the LDS multiple times since the implementation of that game in 2012. And the Philadelphia 76ers drafted St. Louisan and our guest in the 9 o'clock hour, Larry Hughes, number eight overall in the 1998 NBA draft. All right. Thank you, kids. And coming up next on 101 ESPN, Danny Mac joins us for his Monday visit on Character and Smallman. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Randy, and Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Everything's good. I saw the pouring rain yesterday in Jupiter, Florida, and I'm figuring the Cardinal game would have been delayed, and if we would have been down there playing golf, it would have been disappointing. So we, did, we didn't want to be in Florida late yesterday afternoon. <laughs> oh, yes, we did. <laughs> I was watching the Honda, and uh, I said to uh, my son, we were watching it, and uh, his grandpa and grandma, and I said, hey, I said, those are those spot up, you know, spot up uh, showers that come in every once in a while. You think you're going to have a beautiful day. And then you have that downpour. And it seems like it's not raining anywhere else in the county except on you. And right. that's the way it looked like with the Honda is that thing was pouring. Uh, but hopefully, you know, we'll get some good news out of Jupiter today. Who knows? You know, looking for a miracle. Who knows? Is that where we're at right now, Dan, that we need a miracle for it to get done? Well, I'm not in the meetings. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just I go on what I read and the people I talk to and, you know, a lot of the what we keep hearing about the core economic issues haven't be, even been, you know, settled or even close to being settled. So, um, you know, I guess the one thing that maybe you come out of this with is that there's a lot of momentum. Well, first of all, you want to deal if that could happen, um, obviously. But maybe they, they come together and they say, look, we, we've got a ton of momentum. And we keep this thing rolling. And that hard deadline that the owners have put on to start eliminating games, uh, if a deal is not done today, gets extended by a couple of days. And maybe you, you can still get in a spring training. You know, by all accounts, everybody wants three and a half to four weeks. And then you have March 31st and um, opening day. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just... With the stuff you hear about, you know, talking about Super 2s and, you know, do you get another 10000 on this? And I mean, they haven't gotten to the nitty-gritty of, of the uh, the tax, which is a soft cap, if you will. And haven't heard a lot about that, haven't read a lot about that. And until that gets resolved, it uh, could be a long standoff before we have baseball. We'll see. Hey, Danny, when that first started, the competitive balance tax it was called the Yankee tax. I don't know why it's such a big deal because it really only affects three teams, right? It affects the Dodgers, it affects the Mets, it affects the Yankees. The the Red Sox hired Heim Bloom. They aren't going there again. The Cubs suffered biblical losses when they got close to the cap. They aren't going there again. I don't know why it's such a big deal when really only three teams have a chance to even flirt with the competitive balance tax. Yeah, maybe now it's the Cohen tax, right? Right, with exactly. That, you know, he he's got the ability to to spend money, and he's a fan at heart and wants to spend money, and and has done so in a brief amount of time with the Mets. 
Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I think though, until we get that stuff done, uh, it, it could be a long, a long drawn out process. And I, I hope I'm wrong about that. But if, if games start getting eliminated, remember for fans that just don't know, or, you know, you're just kind of getting caught up with what's happening now because you weren't really paying attention. Loss of games means lost wages for players. So that, that impacts their salary immediately. And so you just wonder then if they say, okay, well, if you're going to do that to us, we're going to do this to you. Meaning, would they take games away in terms of trying to have an expanded postseason, which is something that would be very beneficial for everybody, but for the owners in particular. Advertisements on the jerseys is something that, you know, is got to be collectively bargained, which is more money for teams and owners. They could, the players, if they wanted to, could take that off. And then all of a sudden, you, you got to wonder then, are you back to square one and, and how long this thing plays out? Dana, as you mentioned, everyone's talking economic issues right now. Major League Baseball is not really negotiating pace of play. And Randy and I talked about this earlier that uh, I believe Greg Amzinger mentioned that they might not want to negotiate pace of play because they want games to be longer because of gambling. They want betters to have more time to get in bets before each pitch. What do you think about that? Do you think that it's positive for baseball to be thinking about betters and ways that they can attract gambling into their sport? Or do you think pace of play is something that they need to address? Well, I'm not the morality police, so I, if people like to put a bet on a game, that's their choice. Uh, I'm a big freedom of do what you want in terms of that kind of stuff. I mean, you, you want to place a bet on it, I'm not here to stop you, and I'm not the morality police. Um, and the other thing I would say to this, Michelle, is that I, we would be naive to think that gambling isn't coming in some form or fashion in every sport. I mean, it's already booming in certain sports. It's booming in certain states, whether you like it or not. So I don't necessarily agree that they would want a longer game for more gambling. I don't, I don't know if you go that far, uh, because I still think at the core of it, you're, you're trying to make it entertaining for people to go to the game, those that gamble, those that don't, and make it an entertaining night at the ballpark or watching on television. But to the general point of what you're making um, or asking about, I, I think we'd be naive to think that gambling isn't coming in some form or fashion. Dan Mack with us on 101 ESPN. Hey, Danny, uh, Buster only has called Bill DeWitt Jr. the godfather of baseball. Multiple people have said that Bill DeWitt Jr. is Rob Manfred's boss. And if I'm Bill DeWitt Jr., I'm at least sending a text to Rob Manfred saying, hey, I got a pitcher and catcher that are set to set the all-time record for battery mates together. We need to play. I, I have to believe that our owner, Mr. DeWitt, really does want to get games in. I think he does. I, I certainly do. I, I think everybody does. But at what cost to them? Um, and I'm not talking about Mr. DeWitt specifically. I'm just talking about the, the business of owning a team or those that play in it. Um you know, I just don't think they want to give up their leverage. And while it's a nice story to see Yachty and Wayno get to these milestones, and as a fan, I think it would be awesome. Um, I don't think that's front and center with what they care about. I think what we care about is just trying to get the best deal for our side and the chips fall where they may. And um, I'll tell you, I'll take it a step further. I mean, I'm not worried about them setting any kind of mark. I'm worried about seasonal workers. I'm worried about people that make a living off this game. I'm worried about the ticket taker. I'm worried about the guy or the gal that pours the beer. Um, you know, they already missed a season two years ago in 2020 with uh, nobody in the ballpark. So we're, we're talking about, about a lot of people 
that uh, are dependent on this game outside of those that play between the white lines or those that own it. I'm more worried about that than I am worried about Yachty and Wayno setting some mark. Absolutely, Dan. There's a lot of people that are going to be impacted by this. Um, I do want to talk about someone that might be impacted by this that is in between the white lines. There was a great piece in The Athletic about Matt Carpenter and his offseason quest to find his swing again. He went all over the country meeting with different people. He, he tried to change his bat. He, he conferred with Joey Votto. He looked at analytics. He looked at a swing coach. He went to see Matt Holiday. And there's players like Matt Carpenter, older players, which are valued less in baseball now with analytics and uh, the younger players becoming more valuable but I think about someone like Matt Carpenter too without the normal spring training and the chance for him to have that time to meet with teams or or really kind of put himself out there to get an opportunity because I'm hoping that he gets another chance if he does in fact think that he's found it again yeah I think it's a logical look at it I also think it could work in his benefit and what I mean by that is that there are so many uh, players right now that are free agents and and depending on where you're at I mean there's of course the guys like um, Freddie Freeman that everybody talks about or Carlos Correa, they're, they're going to get a job. We know that. Um, but there's like four to 500 guys right now that are on the outside looking in for a job. And so while team, when they do come to an agreement, if, and when that happens, it could be the wild, wild West where you're sitting there saying, Oh man, we, some players may say, well, I, I should be getting X. I, I deserved X. I didn't get it before the lockout this point when they're going to be in the outside looking in. And some teams may take a flyer and say, hey, let's, let's get Matt Carpenter. Let's give him, um, you know, whatever we're going to give him, a, a very low salary if he makes the team and take a flyer on him and find out if this is really true and see what has happened with him. And teams that need a DH, teams that need a first baseman, certainly would do that. Maybe you need a left-handed bit, uh, bat off your bench and take a flyer. It's not going to cost you a lot of money. And if he doesn't make the team, he doesn't make the team. So I think it might be beneficial for him because a lot of teams are still trying to figure out their roster where he could fall in, be a bargain basement guy, and get the the upside with him could be enormous because we know just how good of a hitter he can be. Dan, one more thing before we let you go. Tomorrow night I'm going to MC the St. Louis Softball Hall of Fame Banquet. One of the awards is the Norb Thurmer Award. Norb Thurmer was the owner of Thurmer's Pub down near yeah. the brewery back in the day. And they used to have a deal, Dan, that uh, if you had a Billiken ticket stub, that you got a free burger at Thurmer's. Thurmer's was the best burger in town. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, Dan, in that day, was a ticket taker. <laughs> <laughs> So you had a lot of burgers. I had a lot of, lot of awesome burgers back at Thurmer's back in the day. Oh, I bet you did. Um, those softball leagues are fun, man. You know, those local institutions that we have like that place and others, they get behind those guys and gals and, you know, they're going to show up and maybe have a libation or two after a softball game. So they have a little fun with it. It's probably a very sound investment on both parts. It really is. There's no I doubt about that it. That was how this worked, right? For yeah. The, the, you know, we could, we could get Thurmers on the back of the Cardinals jerseys and all the players show up afterwards. I'm sure we could pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the money they're looking for, but they'll be well fed. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. Hey, get a free burger. That's all Absolutely. you need. Absolutely. Go get some protein. <laughs> Danny Mac, hopefully we'll uh, hear some good news today. And maybe we will get that miracle and maybe we'll be, be able to avoid games. I, I kind of thought that this being the deadline day, I, I've dreamed of something happening by the end of today, by the end of February 28th. So hopefully that miracle is forthcoming because I believe if they don't get something done today, that it might be a while. 
Yeah, and that's what I was saying before. I, I, that's really my massive concern with this is that if we don't get something done today, you know, the the parties will probably depart and say, okay, let's cool off and then figure out another day to get going. But with every day now being lost, you're talking about losing series and losing games. And I, I just, you know, generally speaking, it's obviously not very good for the sport. I really thought coming out of 2020, I thought, man, if there is anything of a silver lining of what happened with those games is that people is as hot as it got and as contested as it got to get back on the field and play. I thought, man, maybe they'll realize that it's important. We just need to play and uh, we're not there yet. So hopefully something happens today. Daniel, have a great day. Enjoy this nice warm week and we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thanks. See ya. That's our buddy Danny Mack, Dan McLaughlin, voice of the Cardinals on Valley Sports, joining us as he does every Monday here on Carriker and Smallman. I like how you tried to pretend like the weather made you not want to be in Florida. I had to try something. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it's a mental trickery. Yeah. Coming up next, does it matter to you if this season is 154 or 144 games? If they don't play a full 162, if they miss games because of a work stoppage, does it matter to you? We'll tell you what it mat- whether or not it matters to us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. 904 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it is deadline day for Major League Baseball. The owners and the players down in Jupiter, Florida, Andrew Miller and Max Scherzer, according to Derek Gould, have shown up as the players and owners try to hammer out a deal before they would have to miss games. If they don't have an agreement by the end of today, ownership says they will have to cancel games. And Michelle, I would anticipate that it would probably be the first week of games and the schedule would be reduced right away from 162 to 154 games. And the question that I would have is if it's 154 game season, which it was before 1961, and the Cardinals are in first place on the 4th of July, do we even remember a lockout that reduced the schedule to 154 games? For the people that are still paying attention, I don't think they care. I don't think it's the number of games that really matters. I think it's the principle of the fact that baseball would lose games because of infighting about money. Which they did in 2020 in the midst of a pandemic when they easily could have come back. But owners decided, nope, we're only going to play 60. That's going to be it. We aren't playing 100. We aren't playing 80. We're playing 60. And the owners got what they wanted. And that has stuck in the craw of players over the course of the last couple of years. And because of the consternation on both sides, Jeff Passan of ESPN doesn't think we're going to come to an agreement today. I hate to sound negative here i just have a difficult time seeing in the next 48 hours less than that now a deal coming together that's gonna uh put baseball on the diamond uh to start the regular season and we'll see guys if major league baseball really does stick by this deadline of february 28th that it set for opening day to be canceled it's gonna be interesting to see tomorrow if there is no deal if there's no miracle at the 11th hour uh how they handle things because Remember, uh, MLB locked out the players, and MLB is going to be the one that's canceling games here. And this is something that I think the league at this point has yet to own. 
Well, here's one thing about our town is that the Cardinals are handing the Blues more exclusive dates where the Blues, all eyes of sports fans, are on the Blues. And I don't think, Michelle, to your point, it's just the days that we don't have baseball games. But this is so distasteful for so many people. I think that they'll punish baseball, whether it's for a short time or for eternity. I do think the fan base that exists now for baseball will punish baseball if they take away games. Yeah, this entire thing is gross. If you're a sports fan, the business of this, this fighting, everything that you're seeing now is it's gross. You like sports because of the ties that you have to your community and because of entertainment. You don't want to see these two sides going back and forth about money, but what they're squarely saying to their customer is that we don't care about you. You don't mm-hmm. matter to us. What you want does not matter to us. And Randy, the Cardinals might be king in this town, but the NFL is king in America. Mm-hmm. And It has been a major eye-opener for me to see so many people in St. Louis not care about the NFL and not watch football at all after the Rams left. And yes, that was a very extreme situation, but we are addicted to football as a country. And if people can move on with their lives and move on with their Sundays without the NFL, I promise you there's going to be a lot of people who aren't as passionate about baseball as they were with the NFL that aren't going to be paying attention to the games anymore. We have daylight savings in a couple of weeks, and our nights are going to be a little bit longer. Will it be difficult for me to go out and go for a bike ride after dinner until 8.30 when the sun goes down? No, won't be difficult at all. There's not much action in baseball that you can't get caught up to what happened in baseball. There's only three things that are going to happen. If I tune into a Cardinal game in the seventh inning and the score is 2-1, I know that it's been three solo homers and a bunch of people have struck out. Yeah, that's what's happened. It's not difficult at all for people in this day and age, the way baseball is played to walk away from that sport. And I don't think they have any idea. The people who are negotiating or the owners or the the group of players that are in, in their executive council, I don't think they have any idea what they're flirting with here. They really don't, because in their reality, they're fine. The owners are making tons of money. This is a profitable profitable business for them. The Max Scherzers who are negotiating this, baseball has done him very well. So of course they think that the money will still be there and the fans will still be there. Will it be an immediate drop-off to where they feel it in the immediacy of them getting back to work after having lost games? Maybe not. But I do think it has been a slow drain and that drain might continue to go at a higher clip of people if they in fact miss games. And again, I, I always go back to our situation because we watch it, but I do think that it would be smart on the part of the Cardinals to go to the rest of the owners and say, hey, you guys know what we are, right? The other owners say, yeah, we know what you are. Say, well, you know, we didn't sell out NLCS games in 2019 before we had a pandemic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We didn't sell out a game last year after we opened everything up. The Cardinals, we did not sell out a single game last year. And that's St. Louis, guys. So And a good team, yeah. so, by the way. A team right. that went to the playoffs. Yeah. It's not like they were the Pirates. So do you want to get into a situation where we're not only alienating the people in Pittsburgh, we're not only alienating the people in Miami, we're not only alienating the people in Kansas City, we're causing the people in St. Louis to lose interest in baseball. If we're doing that, what are we doing here? 
It's so funny too because all of these wounds are self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. The the way that the game has changed and has become a more boring product, it's self-inflicted because yep. of analytics and the way that they've changed the game. The anger that fans feel about baseball right now is self-inflicted because they didn't act with urgency or with clear heads and get this done back in December. Yeah, right. All of this yep. stuff is self-inflicted. They are causing their own demise. Yeah. And by the way, people might think that because I'm saying the Bill DeWitt should go and ask the other owners that I'm blaming the owners. I'm not. I I agree that both, although players have tried harder to get this done than owners have. Agreed. I, I do think both sides are at some level to blame here. But in regards to that particular part of it, Max Scherzer doesn't care whether the Cardinals draw 47 or 7,000 people because he's got his $43 million a year. It doesn't matter what the crowds are like for players. It matters more for owners what the crowds are like because the players have their money and they're negotiating to keep their money. Can I read you a text? Yeah. Uh, From the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. This one, Randy, from the 636. I'm genuinely getting emotional while listening to you guys discuss this because I completely agree. I love baseball so much and I've loved the Cardinals my entire life, but Major League Baseball is openly showing their true colors and thinks that we as fans are just going to jump back into the seats and pay even more money to do it. And Baseball is sorely mistaken. It just doesn't work that way. And especially after as bad as 2020 was and as how ugly 2020 was, they think that we don't remember. Well, we do remember. And we aren't going to forget this either. And it's a shame because we are in the best baseball city in America. But the, if you're doing it to the best baseball city in America and you're getting texts like that, and so many people text into us and say, yeah, I really don't care. I don't care about baseball anymore. If that's happening in St. Louis, can you imagine what it must be like in other markets? No. I mean, I can't. They aren't even talking about it. I was just going to say, I wonder in L.A. if this is even on the radar, if they're all Lakers all the time, Rams, Super Mm -hmm. Bowl. I wonder how much of this Major League Baseball. Like, it's it's bad programming for you to have this be what we're talking about with baseball. It's even worse if it's not even on the radar of a lot of major cities. And I would guess that 90% of the cities in Major League Baseball are apathetic about this because they've got other things to talk about. The asteroid is coming. They, they. <laughs> I hope they get in this room today and that someone stands up and says, "What are we doing? Do you? Do mm-hmm. we even realize what we're doing right now?" And you're right. The players have made far more concessions recently, and I, I feel like the players are acting with more of a sense of urgency to try to get this done. The owners better wake up mm-hmm. and realize what's at stake here. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Next up, our friend Larry Hughes is going to talk some NBA. What does he think is going on with the Lakers, and can they rebound? Well, could they win some games? Uh, they can rebound when street closes in the lineup, but can they win games? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, and joining us in studio is St. Louis basketball legend from the Larry Hughes Basketball Academy. 
Larry Hughes. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for stopping by. And we, we asked during the break how everything's going at the Academy. It sounds like everything's going really well. Yeah, everything's going well. I mean, we're, we're here for the community. We're here for the basketball space. Uh, we're here for the parents to, to put their kids in something that's uh, uh, meaningful and can be impactful for their entire life journey. So it, it, it's good for us. And we'll give the website a couple of times. Why don't you give that right now? Uh, the, yeah, the website is lhbastl.com. Uh, and we also have two locations, so you can find out which location works best for you. Uh, at the main site. Larry, I was reading about some of the stuff that you guys do last night, and in addition to all the skills and the life development that you're implementing in these kids, you're also doing really fun things for them, like a combine and a draft where they got dressed up, and and they had the draft after the combine, and I was just thinking for a young kid who's in basketball to even kind of implement that in their brain, that this is something that could be in your future if you stay focused, and if something that you really work towards had to be very cool to watch you uh, to watch that unfold. Oh, that, it's fun for me. It's fun for me. It's my job from being being from St. Louis is to bring back all the things I've experienced over the years uh, professional wise just travel wise just whatever and bring those experiences back to, to my community uh, the young people can benefit from it uh, through basketball but yeah I was drafted uh, 1998 number 8 but we had a lot of young people that were drafted uh, to their 3 on 3 team a couple weekends ago <laughs> and they ate it up they loved it um, they come in and they work hard so that that's you know, that's us rewarding them for the hard work that they're doing. It's giving them things that they can uh, promote themselves. And it's also really smart and creative to cater to the way that kids think today because everything is about social media. And so I imagine it had to be fun and special for them to get dressed up and take photos. Oh, I was drafted today to my three on three team and post stuff like that. So I just think it's great that you try to put yourself in a kid's shoes to think what they might find exciting and fun. Well, we're living in a space. Uh, we, we work for them. Like we work for them. We want them to have the best experience possible because, again, we're not just trying to create or, or build uh, NBA players or WNBA players. We're trying to build peak performers on and off the court. So all of these experiences, like, I mean, they matter to them. And they look back 10, 15 years from now, these are the things that they look back and say that, you know, played a role in, in who I became, you know, later on. We had Travis Ford on a couple of weeks ago. He said St. Louis is one of the top five basketball cities in America. What do you think of that? I, I can second that. I can second that. I mean, in just sports in general, uh, how we come together uh, in, the, in the sports community is big. And I don't think we've had a, a legitimate chance over the last you know handful of years to really you know experience that and show like what we can do you know in the basketball space. Uh, we have the Billikens, obviously. That's a good starting point. So let's all go out and show up for the Billikens, and then maybe we can get that NBA team we want. And you get to see the level of talent that we're producing here, and that's a really high level as well. I think so. The, the world is wide open um, for us to watch what they're doing in California, what they're doing in New York City, uh, what they're doing in, you know down south as far as you know being athletic and, and being those fast twitch guys. So we get the ability in the Midwest to see all of that. So right now, I think with all the young people playing. They're just putting everything together, putting all the pieces together. Do you think because of the concussion issue in football, more young athletes are gravitating to basketball? I think it's the options. I, th- I think just having the options to pick what they want and not be boxed into something. If they're a big kid, they play football. If they're a tall kid, they play basketball. I think so just not boxing our young people in and mm-hmm. allowing them to explore you know, what they like to do. There's so much talent in the NBA right now, Larry. Who's your favorite player to watch? Oh, my favorite player is Jason Tatum. Uh, I mean, <laughs> obviously, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, obviously um, outside, yeah. of, outside of Jason Tatum, who's the star, by the way? Uh, I would say probably Kevin Durant. Uh, again, those guys are in that same little, little build, that same mode. But I like guys that can shoot the basketball, handle the basketball, make plays for their team. Uh, very skilled, you know, being at that size. So KD is, is, my, is my next favorite. Is there anybody in the league that you played with besides LeBron that's still playing? 
Man, I think that that may be it. And what he's doing at 37 is amazing, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, that's a testament to him taking care of his body and understanding, you know, the long game and understanding when he first got into the league, you could see it. He was asking questions for the guy that was, a, you know, in the starting five to the player that was the 13th player on, on the team. So you can see that he was setting himself up for, for a long career. What do you think's going on with the Lakers? I think that they're too old. You know, for the regular season. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a really good team for the playoff run and for the playoff stretch. But, I mean, this game today is really, you know, fast movements coming off screens, second, third, fourth efforts. I mean, when you get 35, 36, 37, you're not making, you know, the mm-hmm. second and third effort. It's just not not through an entire season you're not. And what do you think about LeBron saying that what whatever happens, he wants to close out his career playing with Bronny? The fact that, <laughs> talk about preserving yourself, the fact that he could play in the league long enough to play with his son, I just think is remarkable. Yeah, I think that that's a great way to look at it. And, and some people may knock him because he's putting pressure on his son. But I'm like, hey, his son's been playing high-level basketball for a long time, so he understands what the pressure is. And for Bron to set a goal like that, I mean, we all need to set goals for ourselves. Those ones that are completely out of range and those ones that we know we can grab. So that's one for me. I think that that's one of those almost out of range, but we'll see what happens. Larry Hughes with us on 101 ESPN. So you played for a lot of teams. You played for a couple of teams for three years, a couple of other teams for two. You were drafted by the Sixers. You mentioned that you Jason Tatum is your player. So is there a team or is are the Celtics your team because of him? Yeah, the Celtics are my team. Uh-huh. Uh, I, you know, I do a lot in the basketball space, so it's hard to – you know, to sit down and watch, you know, a bunch of games or to, to be available to, to watch, you know, a, a, a lot of different teams play. So anytime Boston's playing, I'm usually focused in on, on watching watching Boston. And you always represented St. Louis so well as an NBA player. Isn't that cool to see? I mean, everything he does, whether it's the shoes or the interviews, he's representing St. Louis. I, I like to say we taught him well. <laughs> you did. I, I, I like you to did. say we taught him well. I, I like to say he, he watched how we represented St. Louis and all the things that we, you know, represented from the STL and he's, you know, taking it to another level and with social media, he can just, you know, take it to the moon. It's really interesting to me. You did that. Jason Tatum does does that. Bradley Beal does that. I don't really know any other city where you see so many people who are from there on a professional level constantly talking about their city or representing their city the way that you guys do. And You know, growing up, I'm the same way, by the way. When I went away to ESPN, they nicknamed me Midwest Michelle because I talked about St. Louis all the time. But I don't remember growing up and having that preached to me. Talk about how great St. Louis is. It's just this unique civic pride, I think, that we have that whenever we go out somewhere else, we want to tell people how great St. Louis is. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're in the middle. You know, we're in the middle. So we got to fight for what we get. I mean, if we if we're not careful, we'll get passed over. Right. We'll have somebody going from east over to west. They won't stop in have people (laughs) west going to east. They won't stop in. So for me, it was always represent home. Right? Mm-hmm. It was always represent home and let people know where we come from and let people know that, yeah, I, you know, I made it out, but there's a lot of other people, you know, that can that can afford from the opportunity to, to have this opportunity as well. So that's what it's about, representing, representing your home. Yeah, what do you got? I think a big question right now people have is how the NBA game is impacting these young kids learning because it's, you know, it's a lot of 30-foot step-back threes and kids want to do that. How do you see the way the NBA game has changed and how when, it, when you talk about coaching these younger kids? I think it's forcing the young people to be more consistent in what they do. Consistent in their work ethic, consistent in getting reps up, shooting the basketball, because what they see on TV is not easy. And, you know, you can tell them that, you know, to you, to you, you know, blue in the face. Um, but the results matter. So I think we talk about being consistent with your work and then, you know, living with the results. So I think that it's helping 
our young people, obviously we don't want them shooting 30 footers, but it lets them know how much work it takes to, to actually, you know, do that. Why not? Steph Curry does. <laughs> yeah, 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 Steph Curry spends a lot of time, you know, working on his game. You have to show them that clip that just hit of Steph Curry of him him working from seven feet out all the way to forty feet out and hitting every single shot, stepping back and then stepping forward, hitting every single shot. There's the work if you want to do that special stuff. That that's the process. That's the process. But we like, you know, the fun part about it is he come come over half court and he'll shoot the basketball. <laughs> but that work that he's putting in right in front of the basket, you know, and moving back, I mean, that's gonna allow him him to do that so with the academy and with my experience those are the messages that we try to to get across is yeah we like that part of it but there's some some mixing that goes into the cake that that you have to put in before you can actually do that when you have young players that come into the academy is that the guy they want to be like does everybody want to be like Steph yeah well we have Steph now we have uh you know we have the Greek freak so really the guys that are that are in the forefront you know, that the kids are able to see, they're able to, to feel like their highlights with the social media mm-hmm. stuff. Um, guys that are their size. I mean, like you said, Steph is one of those guys that are, you know, a lot of our guys are, are that size and, and will be that size. So I think, you know, kids gravitate towards uh, Steph a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think about John that. Moran is, is now entered the, yeah. the, the oh, really? conversation as well. Yeah, our, our kids love John Moran. Yeah, you think about the European influence, and I guess it started with Dirk, but the fact that Carl Anthony Towns wins a three-point competition tells you a lot about where basketball is right now. Yeah, you got to love it. You got to love it because you can't box people in now. You can't mm-hmm. say that he's just a center. You can't say that he's just a point guard. Like, if, if these guys are making winning plays and they're, they're spending time, you know, working on their craft, you have to allow them to be great. And for a guy that's, you know, Six ten, seven foot to to go out there and, and uh, win a three point contest. I mean, that's that's you know saying something. It's a small sample size, but what do you think about what we've seen from Embiid and Harden so far? They, they in their words, unstoppable. Well, I, I like what they're doing. I, I like they are they are uh, together. I like that they're having fun together. I like that they are uh, communicating. They seem like they are really engaged with with one another and how they can help each other be great. And I mean, you got James in the pick and roll. You got MB setting it. I mean, that's three hundred something pounds rolling down to the basket. You know, at, at full stride. That's going to be tough, you know, and that's going to be tough. And I think that they're banking on that, you know, that side pick and roll, that high side pick and roll is going to put a lot of pressure on, on defenses down the stretch. And that East is a beast, isn't it? I mean, when once Simmons starts playing with his defense, yeah. Brooklyn will be tough if, when, when KD comes back. Milwaukee is tough. Yeah. Chicago's great. Yeah. And you obviously have a Cleveland with three seven-footers. There's a lot of really formidable teams in the Eastern Conference. You know, you got to love it. You got to love it because how the league has been built, you know, over the last few years, it's guys, you know, trying to get to play with with other guys to create that big three. And then you have situations where you get trades that happen in like a Cleveland where, you know, just happen to form, you know, three guys that are really, really good with with pieces around them. So I think it's a testament to, you know, to the game, um, you know, and how competitive, you know, both sides are, the East and the West. I mean, that's what fans want. That's what we want to click in. That's what we want to see. Um, you know, great basketball. Larry, what programs do you have? And if people want to go to the Larry Hughes Basketball Academy, it's lhbastl.com. That's correct. And what programs? I know you have some things starting actually today. What do you have coming up? Yeah, well, we have our our all-girls clinic that's coming up uh, here uh, March 5th, which we would like to obviously, you know, make it all-inclusive for everyone, but sometimes we have to do, you know, Mm gender-specific. So our girls' camp is coming up, so I think that that's, um, a few spots away from being filled. So if you want to get on, you better hop on that, you know, pretty early. That's uh, March 5th. And then also we have our um, spring break camp. 
that's coming up at the end of March, which, again, allows our kids to come in. This is a camp, so we get a chance to have them come in and, and have a lot of fun, right? Have a lot of fun. We do shooting camps. We do scoring camp. I mean, excuse me, scoring clinics. But our camps are for the kids to come in and have fun. So we do have a spring break camp that's coming up at the end of March. Just out of curiosity, when you start some of your programs, do you start some without a ball at all? Well, we warm up without a basketball. Mm-hmm. So we warm up without a basketball. Then our process is we go our warm up, then we go stationary, then we go movement, and then we go resistance. Got it. So that's how we start up and we warm up our young athletes to understand that we have to do things under control. Then we get a little bit of movement, and then we get some resistance when we add in our competition, and that's how we, we build up our athletes. That's the Larry Hughes Basketball Academy now in Chesterfield, that in Gravoy Bluffs. Yes. So yes. That's fantastic. Hey, thanks for what you do for the community. We always love it when you come in. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That is the great Larry Hughes joining us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. 101 ESPN. Everywhere you look, that's where. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is time for... You're killing me, killing Smalls. Me, there we there go. There we go. It was great having Larry Hughes in the studio, wasn't He's it, Randy? Great. He's awesome. We need to have that uh, happen more often. But we asked him about James Harden and Joel Embiid and what we're seeing in Philly after those two teamed up. So far, so good. Two victories. Let's go back to the first one. Uh, they beat the Timberwolves on Friday, 133-102. They're calling them Embeard, by the way. What do you think of that nickname? I like that a lot. You know, like Benifer and yeah. Beard. I think it sounds good. It kind of rolls off the mm-hmm. tongue. Strong first outing for them. Embiid's final stat line, 34 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists. James Harden, 27 points, 12 assists, 8 rebounds. They follow that up at Madison Madison Square Garden yesterday, beating the Knicks 125-109. to 109. Joel Embiid saying that this pairing is unstoppable. Hard to imagine that it wouldn't be unstoppable as long as James Harden stays healthy and happy. They should be unstoppable. And, by the way, Embiid needs to stay healthy, too. But if they can do that, then they have a chance to do really special things. And they have some other really good players, too. Tobias Harris has played really well. He's, he's been a scorer in the past in the NBA. They've got some really good things going for them in Philly. And it seems like they're having fun. After so much drama in Philly, the Ben Simmons stuff, Joel mm-hmm. Embiid seems like he's having a great time right now. Yeah, I'm sure that just getting Ben Simmons out the door has made Joel Embiid a happier human being. Well, I mean, he did have the legendary tweet about the guy at the funeral. You yeah, know? Right. Just went to my yeah. hater's funeral to make sure he was dead. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hashtag die haters die yeah so i think he's a happy man you're killing me small we also asked larry about what is going on with the lakers well they lost to the pelicans yesterday 123 to 95 russell westbrook is just something else right now he finished with one assist yesterday which came with about five minutes left in the game he has just two assists in his last two games the only other time in his career he's had two or fewer assists in a two-game span is back in november 2008 the fourth and fifth games of his career that's where we're at with russell westbrook right now Russell Westbrook needs to be on a team where he's the only guy. He just doesn't fit if there are other players like LeBron that want to do things. He's got to be a guy that can shoot most of the time, but if he doesn't feel like it, he can pass it off. And he's more about the triple-double than about winning the game. He's just not a real winning player. And without Anthony Davis in the lineup, and like Larry said, when you're 
when you've got Carmelo Anthony as a key part of your team, you've traded off all of your youth so that you could get Anthony Davis and Westbrook, there really isn't much young athleticism on that Lakers roster. Do you think that LeBron behind the scenes has been trying to cook something up? Because, you know, whenever LeBron's not happy, there's some sort of move that's made. Well, Michelle, he said that he doesn't push the buttons. Yeah, okay. No so, one believes that, LeBron. So they. No, he might not. Clutch does. Yeah. No, he, he does. <laughs> and he it, tells Clutch what yeah. he wants. <laughs> he, he, he had to sign off on Westbrook. He's the one that was behind the AD trade. You really think Carmelo Anthony would be a Laker if it wasn't for LeBron James? No, banana boat guy. Come on. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, LeBron does push the buttons. And, yes, he was trying to get something done before the trade deadline, but he put, he, LeBron, put together a team where they have a lot of untradeable assets. I don't know what they do for next year because, if I'm not mistaken, Westbrook is under contract for $41 million next year. You still have AD under contract. You still have LeBron under contract. This might be a bad situation for a while. Yikes. You're killing me, Smalls. Another bad situation, what was, uh, what was, what was, if I could get that out, going on with the Mets, you remember those sexual harassment allegations against Mickey Calloway and Jared Porter, no longer with the franchise, but the Mets made a good hire. They hired Elizabeth Ben as their director of Major League Operations. She's the highest ranking woman to work in baseball operations in team history, and uh, she arrives to the Mets from Major League Baseball. She was working in their front office. She's been working there since graduating with a master's in philosophy from Columbia. She worked in labor relations, youth programs, and baseball operations in the league office. And she's also a pitcher, Randy, in the amateur New York City Metro Baseball League. So a woman occupying the highest position in Mets franchise history. And that's really important with as dysfunctional as that franchise has been. It's been a train wreck. And with the way they've treated women in that organization, getting a woman to have a high profile and hopefully a high power position to me was really important because, I mean, I mean, how many situations can you have where people just mess up all the time beyond the sexual harassment? You've got uh, Javi Baez doing the thumbs down and you've got players that are just off the reservation. It just didn't make sense to have what they had. And Steve Cohen needs to get control of that situation and hopefully Elizabeth Ben can get control of it. And it's one thing to say, oh, we're going to have some reform here. We're going to change our ways. It's another to make a hire like this and actually put that into motion. Right. And the other thing you need to do is give Buck Showalter a voice because Buck Showalter isn't going to put up with the shenanigans that that team dealt with last season. You're killing me, Small. A lot of drama with Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals this offseason, but his agent, Eric Burkhart, put out a long statement. And this is a very much TLDR type situation, so we're going to give you the the uh, bullet points here. But he put out a statement saying that, he, that Kyler Murray, one of two things, he wants to remain with the Cardinals long term, and he desperately wants to win a Super Bowl. That's really what the statement was from Kyler's side. But if you read it, it basically is that, but he wants that as long as the team is going to make his long-term extension a priority, which means I want to get paid. So I don't know if all of those things can exist, but the rhetoric coming out of Kyler's side is, I want to be here long-term, I want to win a Super Bowl desperately, but also pay me. So essentially what Kevin Burkhardt is telling the Cardinals is that they have to buy followers on the Insta. What do you mean? Because he unfollowed them. Oh yes, he did. He did unfollow them. So he'll follow him again, I would assume, if he gets the long-term contract. And if you're the Cardinals, based upon what Michael Bidwell said, 
he said that he and Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Keim all think that Kevin or that Tyler, uh, Kyler Murray is going to be a championship type quarterback. If you do indeed believe that, then just give him long term contract. True. But it's also interesting to me that these quarterbacks don't realize if all this money is going to you, that's less money that's going towards putting pieces around you to go out and win that championship. They all want to be number one. And by the way, if you're the Cardinals, you can do what the Rams did with Goff or what the Lions did with Stafford or what the Eagles did with Carson Wentz. Just because you give the guy the big contract doesn't mean you can't get rid of him. That's true. Here's the last sentence in the statement, by the way, and it's in bold. There's two, there's a couple things that are in bold. Two of them. One, towards the end, it says actions speak much louder than words in this volatile business. And then at the very end, in bold, Kyler remains hopeful that the organization chooses to commit so that he can continue leading the Cardinals to further success and value for many years to come. And value. Mm -hmm. So you have him, you're going to make more money, basically. Well, if you win playoff games, you will. And I don't think that Kyler Murray has been utilized as well as he can. I think I've mentioned this on the show before, Michelle. I think he needs to play in a more structured manner and that's incumbent upon their offense and Cliff Kingsbury to instill a more structured offense because it doesn't matter how good your offensive line is. If Kyler Murray is running around behind it and not doing what the play calls for, if he's playing outside the confines of the scheme and gets sacked, it doesn't do you any good at all. So, not only do the Cardinals need to do a better job of taking care of him and getting him better players, but he needs to play better too. I also think it's so interesting that they have chosen to take this so public, unfollowing the team and releasing this statement publicly. I just don't know if that's the right play. It just feels so unnecessarily messy. But that's where we are now. People live their lives in social media, and that's what Kyler Murray appears as a 23, 24-year-old. That's the way he lives his life. But don't you think his agent would say, maybe this is a last resort before we put out this long letter or before you unfollow them and remove every trace of the Arizona Cardinals from your Instagram? Let's let's just take a breather here and be a little more mature about it. That's the way it should be. But that's where maturity is in 2022. That's, people say their piece on social media. They don't go to the team. They aren't going to the media. They have their own voice on the Insta, and they're going to utilize that. And by the way, sometimes that can be a really passive-aggressive voice by unfollowing people. Oh, it sure is. You, you're definitely making a statement, no yeah. doubt. Time for a niece. What? What? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, There we go. And finally, Randy, we were remiss and not bringing this up last week, but Tom Brady going to the silver screen. So Mm -hmm. his retirement is still a point of speculation, but we know that he is making plans for the next chapter because he's going to the silver screen and his first major movie since announcing his retirement. So there's a movie coming out called 80 for Brady. It is a football-themed road trip movie, and it's going to begin production this, this spring. The story is about four women who went to see Tom Brady play in the Super Bowl. That that one where he led that massive comeback mm-hmm. against the Falcons. And it's going to star, obviously, Tom Brady, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Rita Moreno, and Sally Field. <laughs> what a squad. How about that? Tom Brady with a bunch of people that are on the death watch list. Brady, what? <laughs> Just saying, if, with Buddy, Betty White gone. I know, R.I.P. Betty. Yeah, we right like before it. New Year's, too. Well, you I got mean, a bunch of 80-somethings, right? 
Well, I don't know. Let's see. How old do you think Sally Field is? She's not in her 80s. Oh, she's she got to be close. All right, hang on. I'll give you Jane Fonda here. I think okay, she's... Okay, Sa- Sally Field, 75. Okay, there you go. All right. Sally Field... Who, Jane Fonda, 84? Yeah, there Jane Fonda's 84. Okay. Lily Tomlin's got to be maybe 90s. No. She was on... Uh, let's see. She is killing 82. it on Grace and Frankie, by the way. 82. Oh, but Rita Moreno is 90. So there you go. You telling me they aren't on... If we're having a pool here, that those three, four aren't on your list? Well, I don't do the death pool. Oh, tontines are illegal, Randy. (laughs) Didn't know. Uh, Well... Don't you think that's bad karma? It is, but (laughs) Betty White was on it for 15 years and she lasted. Almost lasted 100. So close. And I tackled it the one. (laughs) (laughs) I just believe too. Well, you know what? By the way, karma has taken a big hit for me now that the Rams won the Super Bowl. The fact that Stan Kroenke had success, I I was very much a karma person. I always just kind of sat back and said, the universe will handle this. If somebody's a jerk to me, I'm like, I don't need to be upset with you. The universe will take care of you. Now I'm kind of wondering if the universe is also in quarantine. What's going on? Oh, he'll he'll get his. I'm just saying. Doesn't it make you feel like karma's on strike? Yeah. So he will... uh... He'll be looking up at us with disdain. <laughs> looking up? Well, <laughs> am I wrong? <laughs> I wasn't prepared for looking up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Hey, uh, by oh. the way, we've got your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Motley Crue, but not just Motley Crue, but Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts on July 5th at Bush Stadium. Tickets available now for Motley Crue and Def Leppard and the rest of the crew coming this summer to Bush Stadium. And you can win tickets now. All you have to do is text in, be texture number 50 with the phrase that pays, Binner is back. Texter number 50, Binner is back. And you can also find a bonus chance to win free tickets now at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 ESPN mobile app. We're going to head down the stretch with what's on tap next on 101 ESPN. To the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We got a winner. It was uh, Binner is back, was the phrase that pays. We know we have a lot of voice and text, but uh, Matthew and I were talking about how we had Bitter is back. We had Benner is back. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what I'll never understand is all the people that text into us, Jordan Bennington, B-E-N-N. Yeah, he, he won a Stanley Cup. He's your Stanley Cup winning goal. We, we got a lot of that. You see his name all the time. And his yeah. nickname is Winnington. It's not Just Wennington. It's Winnington. A lot of Benner. A lot of dinner. Dinner is back, apparently. And th- whoever wins is winning tickets to see Motley Crew. Randy, yeah. are you a big uh, 80s hair band guy? Not really, but I know who they are. Do you, you have a specific hair band that you enjoyed back in the day? Uh, I kind of like the White Snake videos. They were fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, never seen one. Oh, what, okay. made, what made them great? That was a uh, uh, Chuck Finley's wife was in there. She, I think she might have died. Back to uh, death. Tony Tony Katane. Tony Katane. Never heard of her. Oh, okay. She was famous it for a minute. Nice, nice. Uh, she passed away in 2002. Oh, okay, right, so there you go. Gone too soon. So, uh, Randy, did you ever grow your hair out? Is I what I want to I never did. The longest it was in high school it was kind of puffy. I didn't really have, like, long down. I, I couldn't have done the long. I, I would have had, like, the puffy hair. Now, hold on a second. When you say puffy. It wasn't an afro. Okay. But it was just big. 
Oh, wait, now na- see that also not clear enough. I I need I need a picture here because I'm intrigued so by this long? right now. Like past your ears? Oh no, no. Never. I was never really long hair okay. guy. So th- this is for real OGs of 101 ESPN. Mm-hmm. But you may remember Bob Stelton, who was on mm-hmm. the show many years ago. Great guy. We love Stelton back in Seattle, I believe. Still, still. So Bob Stelton, if you ever met him, was a very clean cut guy. He had a very tight haircut. He was a guy that worked out, liked to box. He was just somebody that, like I said, was clean cut. Put, put together, he had a secret past as the lead singer of a of a '90s grunge band, but it was like a hair band, mm-hmm. and his hair was long curly hair all the way down his back. <laughs> and he showed us photos; it was the biggest shock of my life. I would have never in a million years. He's truly, it's like Jekyll and Hyde. He was a completely different person. I could not believe it. It was unbelievable. And Anthony might know this, but I think he left two bands that both became big time after he left them. Really? Yeah. We need to find out which ones. Yeah, I'm not sure which ones. Right, or me know. Everclear and Candlebox. Whoa, Everclear. Wait, Everclear? Yeah. Seriously? That's wild. Yeah, how about that? And yeah, so they both hit the big time after <laughs> still Clear. Left Isn't that amazing? I mean that, but he went on to have a very good career as a sports talk radio really host. Good. Yeah, he's but, terrific. But I imagine life would have been a little better had you been in Everclear. I mean, father of mine, what a jam. Santa Monica. Come on. That's that's Dude, incredible. Good for him. Yeah, that still holds up. Also, but again, I'm with so. you, Michelle. I need to see pictures of the of the legendary flow. Yes, um, and Ryder may know this too. But was he the lead singer in those bands? He was. Yes, he was the in lead. Both of them, so yeah. not only are you just a, a compliment, you know, somebody that people might not know your name, you could have been the lead singer of Everclear. Yeah, Stelton. But would they have gone big time? We just don't know. Uh, one might have been bigger with Bob his vocals. Stelton story because he was voice. actually. Before he came here, he was in Seattle as well, doing radio up there. Yeah. When uh, Tyler O'Neill was a minor leaguer with the Mariners. And so one time, Bob Stelton interviews Tyler O'Neill while he's a minor leaguer. And okay. we know Tyler has a deep voice, right? Yeah. And he does a great interview. And afterwards, they get to the break and uh, Bob says, man, you should get into this business. You've got a nice set of pipes. And Tyler O'Neill touches his biceps and says, yeah, I work on them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> <from him>, <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. That's great stuff. Amazing. Yep. Yeah, so shout out Bob Stelton. Haven't talked yep. about him in a while, but he's the best. Yep. The balloon party is coming up. Great job today by Matthew Rocky, our producer engineer. Thank you. Thank you. And Michelle, this was fun for a Monday. We'll do it again tomorrow. It was fun for any day, Randy, and I it look was. forward to it tomorrow. Thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. 
Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.